raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. And a good Monday morning to you. Hope you all enjoyed a Father's Day weekend. Shout out to all of our fathers out there for a very happy Father's Day. And a late one last night if you were viewing the U.S. Open. I'm Kevin Bowen, Jay Query, and Mark Dykton. With this as well, it's a bit of a humid start to this Monday here in Indianapolis. The big news item of the week coming up on Thursday night is the Pacers will have the NBA draft, five picks in total. We'll talk with Tony East coming up at 9 o'clock to get you set for draft week here in Indiana. Some big NBA news over the weekend with Bradley Beal on the move to Frank Vogel and the Suns. Uh, Jake, how was your weekend? Uh, It was good. IndyCar Road America. Back to a little work, right? Did that yesterday, yep. And then actually today, yesterday was Father's Day. Today is my dad's birthday. Oh, wow. So we got the combo deal for one Lloyd Query. Um, 83, you said, for Lloyd. Is that right? Two. Two. 82. Happy birthday to Lloyd. That's right. They still out at Hilton Head? They're back. Scheduled around you again? They're back. Any bitterness from your mom that you know your father's birthday, but not your mom's? (laughs) Well, I went. My dad's birthday's on Juneteenth, so it's easy to remember, right? Um, And I am curious of this, by the way. And yes, my parents are back. And yesterday, Mark, I stopped by their house, and I I think I told you, like, there's a discrepancy on the alarm code. They change it every Uh once in a while. And so I didn't want to, like, go in there. I have a key, but I didn't want to go in because I didn't want to set off the alarm. So I rang the doorbell, knocked, like, and then I was getting in the car, backing down the driveway, and the door opens. My dad's like, oh, we didn't hear you. I was in the man cave, and your mom's upstairs. Do people still ring the doorbell these days? I I don't think my parents' doorbell works. It's kind of, but they do have a landline, though. Yeah, we were explaining at one point this weekend to our seven-year-old nephew what a landline was. That was quite the experience, going around the room and trying to. Yeah, there used to be, like, a phone in the kitchen, and you would call people. I was one of the last of uh, my friends to get a cell phone. <laughs> Did you have, in your house, and this is, like, in, in our house as a kid, before even cordless phones, like the long corded phone? Yeah. So there was always somebody that was on the phone, like all, like a teenager on the phone all night that, like, would wrap the phone all the way around and, like, lay, uh, my sister would, like, lay under her bed so you couldn't hear, you know, who she was talking to or whatever else. And then you you know, you pick up the phone. And, I'm on the phone. Yeah, okay, sorry. Let right. me know when you're off. I mean, well, then you couldn't get on the internet in the early infancy stages of of the internet as well. That's right, because that would have been dial right. You'd have to hang up. And I remember working at a at uh, the cigar store in Broderpool. Well, hang up. I got to run a credit card. I mean, like, how crazy is that? Yeah, that is. That is. Um, by the way, today is Juneteenth, and. I did not know this, so I'm going to sound like an idiot, but I'm asking this for the sake of everybody here, uh, on because it is a newer holiday. That's not to say that it's new in terms of its observation, but this is just the third time that Juneteenth is observed nationwide. It is a federal holiday today, so that means that I'm assuming that no banks, no mail today, right? I mean, well, regular I could, federal holiday. I don't know how you guys felt, but I could tell them to drive in. Correct. Yeah. An emancipation of the slaves, correct? Yeah, I mean, it is, quite frankly, I will be honest, and it is stunning to me. It was one of those holidays that when it came about, I don't know that I realized what it was exactly the first time that I saw it like on my phone. I'm like, what is Juneteenth? 
And then when I looked it up and saw that it's the commemoration of the end of slavery in the United States, Freedom Day or Emancipation Day, as it's known, dating back, you know, I mean, obviously over, what, hundred nearly 150 years, I, I, I was almost stunned that, like, we hadn't considered that one of the first, very first federal holidays. Right. I mean, that's a pretty significant moment in the history of this country, and one that absolutely should both be celebrated and simply be a reminder of where we were and where we are so um anyway juneteenth today and if you were thinking about going to the bank today uh, instead simply enjoy and reflect upon the fact that this is uh, a moment to celebrate a free nation for all what did uh, lloyd think of last night uh, well, it seemed like the large majority of the golf audience was very disappointed in Wyndham Clark winning. Yeah, I, I think... Um, <clears throat> and maybe the entertainment value slid into that. Here's the thing. I think that whenever you have... Quite frankly, it probably is a lot like... This is a bad analogy, maybe, Kevin, but kind of like when Alexander Rossi won the 100th Indy 500 like there was a, obviously there wasn't the hub for this that there was around the 100th running of the Indy 500 but to have the US Open on the West Coast in prime time in a big city like Los Angeles in a in a golf course that there was a lot of discussion about and then you get a young guy that this is kind of his breakthrough moment I know it's his second win but his breakthrough moment and you think uh, Los Angeles though it's supposed to be about the stars right it should have been a big star so I think in that regard it was a little bit underwhelming uh, that you know a little bit of an air out of it um but overall i i don't know i think there are elements of it that make it a good story i mean they, they probably talked a lot about it but the fact that this is a guy you know a young guy that is just starting to to hit his stride his mother passing away while he was in college i mean there's a lot to like about the yeah. story itself but it's also very unfamiliar yeah i mean his emotion after the putt on 18 was was just awesome to see um but yeah a bit of a dud i think from a storyline standpoint and the crowd i mean the the yeah the crowd and the and the atmosphere all week long i thought was really poor i thought that was typical la uh, to be honest with you but uh, you know when you watched i guess saturday night when you look at the leaderboard you're like oh my gosh scotty scheffler and rory McIlroy are in the second to last group and here you have this ricky fowler in the final group and with fowler he was one of the few like individual brands in the game of golf that resonated, I think, to the casual sports fan, falls off a cliff, and now he's back, and he's going for his first major, and he's a Southern California kid. You've got these three different storylines, whether it was Scheffler, whether it was Rory, whether it was Fowler, that just would have been absolutely through the roof, and then you had Wyndham Clark. And it was kind of like, Jake, I feel like if to continue the 500 analogy, you know, if we would have had a restart with 10 laps to go, which I know we had several of them back in May... And with Dixon and Pato and Newgarden and whoever up there, and then you throw in Christian Lungard or David Malukas, and that guy ends up winning it. That That's kind of what I felt yesterday watching Wyndham Clark. I feel a little bit bad because, yes, Wyndham Clark made back-to-back bogeys on 15 and 16. He was pretty much unflappable the rest of the day. Every time it looked like he was going to wilt, and you're like, oh, U.S. Open pressure is going to get to him. Great up and down, or he hits it in the you know in the junk on eight. It looks like he's going to make a huge number. Makes a great bogey. Um, he was outstanding at just kind of steadying the ship every time he needed to do it. And Rory put zero pressure on him. Rory just 
nothing. Nothing from him uh, on the greens at all, and I think that is really, really disappointing. You were waiting for Rory to have that moment, and he never produced it whatsoever yesterday. Hit 16 of 18 greens and didn't make a birdie after the first hole. Did you um, pay much attention to, because I think it kind of came out later in the afternoon, and it was it was funny because it was kind of reported like it was already done, and then you heard like, well, actually, there there are some other things that have to be done. But pretty big news in the NBA as well yesterday, around the time that probably right when the U.S. Open was heading down the home stretch, that Bradley Beal, Kevin, he's kind of to use the golf analogy, I'm trying to think like who's a great golfer that no one talks about, um, like who's the least heralded consistently competitive golfer. Yeah, probably Xander Shoffley, who I know shot 62 on Thursday and then kind of whimpered home from there. But yeah, Xander, Patrick Cantlay. Because that's Bradley Beal, right? I mean, this is a guy that's been an all-NBA level player, mid-20s scorer, really good player, and kind of just forgotten about with the Washington Wizards, and now apparently on his way to Phoenix. I mean, that's a blockbuster deal because the Suns have essentially given up like a decade's worth of picks in order to accumulate three major stars in Durant, Booker, and now, of course, Bradley Beal. And then you, and then they've also got DeAndre Ayton. I mean, that's yeah. a pretty formidable group. And I guess, was this all just like no trade clause related with Bradley Beal? How does he go to Phoenix for that? I mean, it was what, seven second round picks? I'm exaggerating a little bit. A handful of second round picks. Landry Shamet and Chris Paul, who Washington's just going to cut? Washington, apparently, there's there's word that Paul, I think Paul was the wild card in all of this because he has to sign off on it, and so they're trying to redirect him. We obviously needed salary, so that's where Paul comes into play here. And Chris Paul, of course, wants to go to a contender, and Washington would be the furthest thing from that. So it sounds like, I don't know if there will be an exact third team involved in the trade or if this simply will just be Chris Paul getting cut and then him, you know, I don't know. Is he going to go to the Lakers? Um, but, yeah, Bradley Beal, you, you've, I feel like for the last handful of years, Jake, really ever since the John Wall, Bradley Beal experiment kind of fizzled out, we've been waiting for Bradley Beal to get moved. I am... Um... And those Washington teams, I mean, remember when the Pacers would play them yeah, in series? They were kind of a budding little rivalry. Gortat was a nice player. Yeah. Otto Porter's early years. That was a that was a fun series. I I know I'm probably wrong in this hot take. It's not intended to be a hot take, but I've always felt this way. Bradley Beal to me is the antithesis of Chris Paul. Because Chris Paul is a guy that everybody talks about as this great breakthrough final piece player. And he's won nothing. Nothing. Beal, nobody talks about him. He hadn't won anything, but nobody talks about Bradley Beal. And he's a really good player. I have just always felt like Chris Paul, and I know he's a wonderful point guard. I I get it. Relative to the amount, I'm not saying he's not a good player. I know he is. And he's seemingly a really good guy. I have nothing against Chris Paul. I've just always felt like Chris Paul is the most overrated player of the last 15 years. That's not to say that he's not, Worth. Is that just because he hasn't won? Because statistically, he'd, he'll go down as one of the greatest point guards ever. I get that. I totally get that. But how many chances has he had where he was the final piece and then it just he doesn't get I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it is. I have no reason to dislike him. I don't dislike him. 
I just kind of get tired of hearing every year about how like Chris Paul's the piece that's if, if a team can just get Chris Paul, they are headed to the finals. And I'm like, except for that he's never been there. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, well, I know he's been in the finals now, but with Phoenix, but I just, he was always the final piece every time he went somewhere. It was like, this is the guy that's going to put him over the top. And there was always a reason why he wouldn't. I don't know why. I agree. He is, like I said, it's a, it's a tough hill to stand on because I don't really have anything other than just like this gut feel about it. But it seems like when he goes places, there is a defined ceiling. I, I don't know. I mean, he, he's probably going to end his career without it. With, and, and defining a career by the ring is fairly unfair. I mean, it's not like Charles Barkley wasn't a fabulous player. Elgin Baylor only won one of them. I mean, you know, but still. Um, interesting because clearly wherever he goes next, one would assume that's probably the end of the line for Chris Paul. And that just seems a quick, for me, it seems a quick ejection for Phoenix to get rid of Chris Paul. I mean, like why... He, he still has some gas left in the tank, doesn't he? He's still a good player. Right, but obviously Beal turns back the clock and gives you a little bit more. And I think injuries with Paul have been a huge storyline, particularly well, age, late you know. in his career. Uh, something I want to talk with Tony East about when he joins us coming up at 9. You know, Brian Windhorst, who I think is extremely plugged in from ESPN, uh, covers the NBA. He mentioned late last week about the Pacers that they've been trying to move out of seven for a veteran, for, for a high-level wing player was the phrase that Windhorse used. Um, he also kind of threw in at the back end, I think they might be able to do it if they're motivated. Um, so, you know, is that the other team that the Pacers potentially have interest in, trying to drive up some value there? Um, the next 72 hours, I think Indiana will be one of the more heavily called teams leading into Thursday night with the draft, both ways, outbound and inbound, and the amount of draft picks they have, the cap space they have. I think internally, there is this predicament for the Pacers about where are you at right now? Are you still thinking full rebuild mode? Are you still heavily in the, we need one more big-time offseason of youth movement, and then we'll move forward, or did last year tease you enough to say hey we feel like we can kind of push that pedal to the metal a little bit more um and, and who would that high level wing be is it og ananobi who seemingly is like the new oj mayo of pacers rumors? i was gonna say man he is constantly being rumored um so obviously that will be a huge storyline as we lead into thursday night the nba draft starting at eight o'clock uh jake over the weekend road america up in wisconsin uh did we see history for indycar there I'm trying to think of what history we would have seen. The history for IndyCar, um, I was curious, I believe came on Saturday, and that was an incident between Scott Dixon and Will Power that led to SportsCenter showing footage of an IndyCar practice. Is that the first time in the history of IndyCar that SportsCenter has showed a clip from practice? <laughs> Fair. Um I say this, that was half joking. I say this in all seriousness. Isn't that kind of what IndyCar needs a little bit? Like, the racing is very good. I, I actually thought to myself. Is this manufactured? Is this Netflix? I actually thought to myself. It definitely was not manufactured. I'll say that. I mean, that was so. For those that are unfamiliar, Will Power, who is, um, you know, if you were going with IndyCar drivers right now, then Scott Dixon is. 
amongst current NFL quarterbacks, I'm trying to think, who is the most established and tradition-laden NFL quarterback right now? The most accomplished quarterback in the NFL over the totality of their career would be who? Uh, Rodgers. And then who would be the other veteran that try to you know everybody's retired now right yeah, I don't know. the old R- guard Russell but, Wilson for some reason's popping in my head yeah so i at any rate i mean so probably bad analogy here but Scott Dixon and Will Power have been the two best drivers of the last 12 years in IndyCar in terms of their consistency their records etc uh both of them typically fairly even keel guys although Will Power has at times in his career shown like where he can get heated about stuff which people love it makes him kind of fun um they were on the racetrack Roman Grosjean was on the track. Power had just passed him. And Dixon seemingly didn't see that Power was in the outside line and just drove right into the side of him, slamming Power into the wall. Power was completely 100% innocent, and Dixon made a mistake. And Power jumped out of his car like, what in the world are you doing? I mean, it destroys (laughs) Power's car. He jumped out of his car. He flipped off Dixon and then went over to him and shoved him. And Dixon, at that point's reaction was the reaction of a guy that's like, hey, man, would you calm down? Like, yeah, I was wrong, all right? You know, that kind of thing. Words went back and forth. Um, It looked like a little NASCAR beef. It it did. And I will admit to you, I am not a fan of manufactured stuff, which that was not. But in the pre-race on Sunday, when they showed the two of them kind of joking around about it, I thought, no, no. You've got to carry this on a little bit, right? I mean, at that, I don't like manufactured, but because it happened organically, let it let it breathe a little bit, right? I'm like, no. So th- at that point, I'm not going to say I was disappointed, but I was a little bit disappointed, I guess. Um, but at any rate, that's that's where things fell with that. And yes, for that to get eyeballs, that's what you need. Quite frankly, that's what you need. I thought it was great. Alex Pillow gets the win, passes Colton Herta there late. Um, Herta then just kind of fell like a brick the final few laps there. I almost feel like the championship series, Jake, is over. I mean, we're, are we halfway through yet? I mean, Alex Pillow is dominant. It, it, it's what he is doing right now. I saw Steph Wilson yesterday say Alex Pillow right now might be one of the top five or three drivers in the world. F1 included. There's no might be about it, right? I mean, he gets out to a lead, and it is like, holy cow. Seven um, straight top fives? It's amazing, uh, quite frankly. And for a guy who supposedly is switching teams at the end of the year, and I don't know that that's the foregone conclusion that people think. I don't know if he signed something ahead of time with McLaren, which there was, you know, Arrow McLaren, there was the rumor that he was going to be there this year, and then Ganassi said, not so fast, my friend, check the contract. And so he ended up staying with Ganassi. And now he is putting Ganassi, you know, I can understand where Chip Ganassi would be like, well, as soon as the year's over with, we're moving on from the guy. But at this point, one would think that he probably, Ganassi's like, I don't know, especially eventually Scott Dixon, you're going to have to move on from, I mean, not move on from like push him out the door, but I mean, he's going to retire at some point and, and Polo is a young driver, but Aero McLaren does have the immediate pipeline to a Formula One ride, and I think that's what's very intriguing to Alex Pillow. Um, Very impressive what he did. Colton Herta yesterday, what happened was he, and this is what's fascinating about the sport of racing in general, Herta pitted one lap earlier than virtually everybody else, and in the last five laps of the race, when everybody else was going for it, 
that one, literally, that one lap worth of fuel was a difference because Herta couldn't go full rich and go basically 100% on the throttle, and everybody else could. So he was running probably 90%, and that allowed, in the end, five, you know, four cars to pass him, and he finished fifth. Two-week break now for IndyCar. Mid-Ohio coming up in early July. Mark, you have a good Father's Day? Very good Father's Day. Yeah, I was driving back from Florida yesterday. We stopped at the Louisville Zoo, did that real quick, and then got home. Took like a five-hour nap, which was fantastic. Whoa. Yeah. What time did you get home? We got you, home. You flew out of here Friday. I Five-hour nap? That's like Uncle Jake. So what? Yeah. So we, I, we, yeah, I flew out Friday and then landed in Sarasota Friday evening. And then my wife, I thought we were just going to start driving back at that time. And my wife's like, actually, I didn't want you to be completely dead tired. So we booked a hotel by Disney. So the girls got one more little day at Disney until Saturday afternoon. Then we left after that. So we did Bucky's, didn't see Wally. Uh, so you drove thing. a good chunk on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday was got a big it, chunk of it. driving. And then Sunday, got back, took a nap. So with the drive from Orlando to here, if you did it straight through, is how long? About 14 and a half hours. That's actually not terrible. I mean, I would think it's further than that. Yeah, it's it's not as bad as you think, but yeah, it's just well, when you got three as, other kids and as long as bathroom they, breaks, food, yeah, I was all say, as long as they're hitting a wall after Disney, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't too bad. And then yeah, uh, last night threw some steaks, kebabs, and uh, and corn on the grill. Had a nice dinner, watched some U.S. Open, and then watched some uh, TV with the wife. How, how many how many TVs do you have going in the cars? In the uh, car, they like, have like tablets and stuff. That's so, what like, I mean. Yeah, they'll th- we'll throw like some Disney movies on. And do they and all that. now? Are they all watching the same thing? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes not. Headsets or no headsets? Headset for one of them. The other two, they have it on low enough where it's not a distraction, so it's not too. Boy, bad. they can get in a trance with us. Oh yeah, uh huh. It's 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 We we got scary. to Disney, and my my middle daughter was just like standing. Up. I was like, hey, we're at Disney. She's like, Hold on. I'm like, no, come on. Like you can turn off Bluey for a minute. We can actually you know, probably go see Bluey. My buddy Dewey. Um, we were together last weekend, and he had a son, Trip, who's three. And Trip was watching his like an iPad and or an iPhone. And Dewey was telling me he watches these two kids that are from Russia on YouTube. They have a YouTube channel. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? I, I do not. They've know. got like six no. million. And I'm like, well, you're maybe this is propaganda. Do you think like there's any chance that the Russian, that little Russian, it's two kids? I think we'll try to avoid the Russian YouTube <laughs> duo. <laughs> But you. hey, anything that anything that gets a job done. Well, yeah, Dewey's the dad of the year. He's raising a miniature yeah. communist. Again, we go a little bluey, not <laughs> not Dewey. Yeah, on, on that end, bluey's the way to go. Get him off the YouTube Shorts. That's I wish I could disable that thing. YouTube Shorts is the yeah. We watched some Peppa Pig YouTube yeah. Shorts, but we, we went to that Bluey show a couple weeks ago. The place is rocking. Was that, that a good old, one? Old National Center. Oh yeah, yeah. Play a little keepy uppy to end the show. Oh there yeah, places electric. A- L.A. Country Club wishes they had that atmosphere for uh, the U.S. Vlad Open. and Nikki. By the way, they've got ninety-eight million subscribers on YouTube. Yeah, I can't say where. I don't think the Bowen family is going to be <laughs> diving into that anytime soon. I yeah. did. Um, when Max starts saying Mother Russia, you know it's trouble. <laughs> trouble. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely not something I think I want to go go down that path. I am a bit amazed watching last night, and I had a buddy of mine over the weekend say that and well we'll ask it on eight o'clock i could throw this question at him it'll never happen because it's two different governing bodies but i am curious if like when you talk about golf majors if we could get the u.s open and the pj championship to agree that one of the two is in prime time every year like do you think we could get one of the two to say all right we'll be on the west coast every year and boom we're going to get one major in prime time i personally loved the 
Saturday, Sunday, even Thursday, Friday, primetime viewing during a time where we don't have primetime viewing. Because even the finals, I think Game 7 of the finals, actually I think Game 7 of the finals might have been last night if we would have gone that far. So maybe that wouldn't have checked out, but as long as you're not going up against the NBA Finals, I, I mean, out there. in the su- summertime is interesting to me because would you rather be, you're right, I mean I guess in the daytime you want to be outside, right? I would mean, you rather have the 5 or 6 o'clock final putt? Or the 9.30, 10 yeah, o'clock final putt. No, for sure. I, I can't disagree with you there. I, and look, I, 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 trust me, financially and from my heart, I wanted Rory. I wanted Ricky Fowler. Those are the storylines. I sat there Saturday night thinking to myself, what would be better for the game of golf, Rory or Ricky winning? Because I think that's a fascinating question about where the current state is in golf. Ricky as a brand and this resurrection of sorts. Rory, to me, has got a little bit of feel of LeBron in it. And like, if you want to say that Tiger was Michael, Rory's kind of the next generation. He has all this early success, and now it's like, boy, is he going to win another one? You know, we, we, we had that at times with LeBron. Like, when is he going to win that title? Um, but I do think the fact that you had Wyndham Clark yesterday and, and yeah i mean sure he bogeyed 15 he bogeyed 16 imagine saying at the start of the day that of who we got rory fowler dustin johnson scotty scheffler and let's throw in xander shoffley so you got those five names take out fowler You've got four of the top ten players in the world, some of the greatest players of all time in Rory and Dustin Johnson's case, and none of them beat Wyndham Clark. None of them beat Wyndham Clark, a guy that his best finish in a major was 79th. I didn't know 79 guys could make the cut in a major championship. That's the beauty of golf, though, Kevin, honestly. I think that here's the thing. Golf... And the popularity of it, there are two ways to look at it. One could be, and I I totally understand that for many people who are fans of golf, whether it be that they got roped into it because of Tiger Woods or whether it be like the two of you, when you first started watching golf and actively following it, it was the prime of Tiger Woods. You got so used to the dominant player and then like the the hero victim or excuse me, hero villain, you know, roles of golf. The other way to look at golf is part of the beauty of it or part of the intrigue of it is, and this was the case for a long time, it's wide open every weekend. And the randomness of it sometimes is what's, but I get the fact that we've gotten away from that because it's been the same handful of golfers. And I totally understand that. And that's, I'm not saying it's good or bad either way, but I think there are people that like the totally random nature of it, of just the fact that a guy that, that you would never expect can pop up and win a major. You know what I mean? Now, that's that doesn't make it – I don't know that that's sustained. I, I think the Tiger Woods method is the more sustainable way to keep fans and keep viewers, obviously. The records indicate that. right? The well, and, indicate and I think that. with Rory's case, you just want him to get to that next level of elite. I mean, you, you yeah. get into all these debates about greatness and – like, to me, Jake Rory's had a bit of a Scott Dixon type of career. Unbelievable career. One of the best golfers of all time. But, like, do you want him in the same breath, breath as Unser and Mears? And, right, and, and right, you know, totally. That's yep. kind of the thing with Rory. It's like, when is he going to get to that, not Tiger level, but Tiger-ish level? Because when you win four majors in your first four or five years on tour, you're on pace to do something crazy, and yet 
the putter continues to fail him, especially on Sundays in major championships. A uh, bit of a human start to this Monday here in Indianapolis. Will has human in here in the studio. What, no. What's going on there, Mark? Do you know? I don't. It's you, hot, can you though. check look that? Up, can you look find it over at the thermostat. It looks pretty. I feel like it's on mostly blue over there. I would like to do, by the way, I think our thermostat. It's a federal holiday as as and it's a Monday and it's the summertime. I'd like to do one a, a text message roll call. Text me if you're listening right now. I'd love to know if you're up and about because I'm not sure how many people are going to work on the drive in. It was definitely a little bit less crowded. Three one seven five two three ninety two eighty eight. That's my cell. So if you're listening, text me. I'd love to know. I thought that was your landline. (laughs) 317-523-9288. We'll get you caught up on what happened overnight, and then Will Haskett joins us 32 minutes from now. It is Kevin and Query here. You're listening to it on 93.5-1075 The Fan. Mark, play the audio. Do not look now, folks, but here, it's not here come the Red Legs. They are here, folks. That is eight straight wins for the Cincinnati Reds. They complete an 8-1 and road trip. I know it's June 19th. Don't look now, but here come the Red Legs. Thank you, Mark, for that. I, is this real? Is this a mirage? It's almost like they don't know they're not supposed to be there. Is this the Ellie De La Cruz injection of life here? A 9-7 over the Astros. That is a sweep of the Houston Astros. 37-35 and 35 on the year are the Red Legs. Uh, it has been quite the month of June for them and certainly a rare feeling over the last, what, half dozen years for that franchise. It helps that they're in the NL Central. <laughs> it does. The NL Central it does. stinks. But by the way, I, I I hate to be the bearer of bad news here during the middle of our checkdown. Well, AFC um, Southish. Uh-huh. I, I just wanted to print one thing off of the website here. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The I'm not going to say which website. And our printer is going bonkers out there because somehow I managed to print the logo of every team in the National Football League. It's still back there printing. It's printing the logo of every team in professional sports off oh of the website. Yeah. I was is that a six point here. font? Am I seeing that? Is that in color too? Yes. Here you go. Oh, a Bears one. <laughs> Boy, I have no much. idea. Honestly, that seems kind of on brand for who, you. Who, who would you like? It says Chicago Bears Bears on it. <laughs> I've got them all. Who would you like, Kevin? How did that happen? I have no idea. I literally printed the Major League Baseball results, and then I went back there, and the the machine, the, the printer, which is like blowing up, and I went back there, and it's printing off every single NFL team. Jake's got to do a collage at his summer camp today. So <laughs> yeah, I, I like it, sports. Is that coming out Football's of your uh, paycheck, favorite. you think? I mean, honestly. All that color like, ink? Just insane. I feel almost guilty here, Kevin. There you go. There's the Colts logo for you. Thank you for yeah, that. No problem. Uh, Indianapolis Indians have lost five in a row, but they are home all week. Columbus starting tomorrow. Doubleheader coming up on Wednesday. Yesterday, for the fifth straight year, the U.S. Open produces a first-time major winner. He is Wyndham Clark, an extremely accomplished college player and you know amateur. What, you know where that was? Went to Oklahoma State. Yes, I do see the L.A. Rams there logo. Thank you. There you go. Okay. Um, went to Oklahoma State, transferred to Oregon. They mentioned on the telecast yesterday his mom died of cancer when he was 19, a big part of the reason why he transferred back a little bit closer to home. Uh, he got it done one by one, two putt on the 18th green for the win. Here was Wyndham Clark afterwards on winning the U.S. Open. I feel like I belong on this stage, and I, you know, even two, three years ago when people didn't know who I was, I felt like I could still, still play and compete against the best players in the world, and I've, I felt like I've shown that this year. Um, 
you know, and I've ha I've come up close, and you know, obviously everyone sees the person that hoists the trophy. But I've been trending in the right direction for a long time now. I've made a lot of cuts. I've had a handful of top tens and top twenties, and I feel like I've been on a great trajectory to get to this place. Do you know where he stayed in Los Angeles, by the way? At a Wyndham. That's correct. I'm just assuming. Do you know his favorite candy bar? A biggest pre-tourney underdog <laughs> to win the U.S. Open since Lucas Glover mm -hmm. in 2009. <laughs> Wyndham Clark is your U.S. Open champion. Uh, Jake wrote America. Alex Pillow doing it again. Yeah, Alex Pillow is absolutely right now the hottest driver in IndyCar. No question about it. Colton Herta started on pole. Colton Herta led the most laps. Colton Herta late in the race pitted a lap earlier than did Alex Pillow. Had to start to conserve fuel. Alex Pillow took advantage of it. So too did Joseph Newgarden, Pato Award, and Scott Dixon. They all worked their way around Herta who finished fifth. So Pillow is your winner. That is the rest of the top five, as I just mentioned. Newgarden, Award, Dixon, and Herta. Ryan Hunter-Ray, by the way, filling in, not filling in, but replacing Connor Daly for Ed Carpenter Racing. He finished in 17th in the race yesterday. Absolutely huge crowd at Road America. Beautiful facility in Wisconsin. Uh, good weekend all the way around. Really good weekend all the way around. Uh, the Fever lose to the Atlanta Dream yesterday, 194. Leah Boston had 25. But the Fever did win two in a row last week, but could not stretch that to three. As they fall to now four and seven on the season. Did you did you already mention the cute fellow beat the Cubs? Did we mention that? No, he mentioned the Reds and the move past everybody. Okay, uh, cute fellow beat the Cubs six three. That's okay. Took two out of three of the weekend. I saw my A's had a few heartbreakers. Back to reality. Your your Diamondbacks on a they're in first place mm -hmm. by the way, but they were beaten by Cleveland twelve three. Game and a half now. The cute fellow leaves uh, leads Arizona in the race for PBR. Oakland it, it seems as though kind of falling off. By the way, uh, you ever been to Brewburger on Mass Ave? I have been to Brewburger on Mass Ave several times. PBR on draft there. Had one on uh, Saturday night. Fabulous dinner. Went across to the Rascaller. Saw the elect play at the Beer Garden. Nothing better. Saturday night, summertime. That's good Saturday night The elect night right playing there. at the Rascaller at the Beer Garden. Fabulous. You really can't go wrong with the Rascaller. It's the best. In the summertime. It is the best. Uh, all right, coming up, 8 o'clock, Will Haskett. Talk a little bit more about the U.S. Open. Tony East at 9. Again, about 72 hours from the NBA draft. How should the Pacers operate this week? A lot of flexibility, a lot of calls, inbound and outbound. Coming for Indiana with five draft picks, cap space to spend. Should they focus all in on the youth movement for another offseason or start to kind of say, all right, we're win-now mode here. Let's go and get a veteran. We'll chat about that. And a look back on the Colts' minicamp. One bummer to the offseason program, unfortunately, the rookie class. Not a lot of time on the field. We'll explain more on the other side. Kevin Aquari here on a Monday, 93.5, 107.5. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba -ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. As a fan. It is Juneteenth. Good morning to those of you who are listening or on your way to work. Uh, appreciate those who have sent messages. And there have been a lot, so that is very much appreciated. Um, you- always gets me nervous when you do that. Like, you're going to get, like, two text messages. Well, then I get... I know, I know. But then I get... It seems like the YouTube like- chat, Mark, is pretty normal, right? Yeah. From a quantity standpoint. Then I get things like this. When men who have generational wealth, Will Power's first reaction is to demonstrate hate on fellow man, not to go check on him after the clear mistake. Shows you this. Respect for our fellow man is gone. Sad. Whoa. Okay. That's deep. Because, like, there were never, you know, I mean... We should have respect for our fellow man like we did back in the 60s when Duke and North Carolina had a brawl that suspended like 10 players for the rest of the season. You know what I mean? Yeah, because competition and testosterone just woke up yesterday. Yeah, I mean, you're driving it. As soon as he hops out of the car and Dixon hops out, it's pretty clear he's okay. Um, There is a competitive nature that comes into play for sure. But, um, you know, one of the guys, thank you to everybody that – Texted John Love up and working this morning. No surprise. Love heating and air. There. No shock there. Yeah. I mean, talk about a three sixty needed right? time here in mid to late June. Yeah, we could use them in here. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's a little warm. Um, Kevin, if you were a if you're a Colts player and you just got done with OTAs, what are you doing this weekend? Are you off R and R? Are you? I think right now you are. I think the first week or two of summer vacation, you can R and R it. Uh, vacation it up, I would say, probably this week, potentially next. But I, I think once July gets here, don't you have to kind of ramp it back up? You know, training camp, uh, July 25th-ish, I think is the date to kind of circle on your calendar at Grand Park. We should get an official training camp schedule in about the next seven or eight days. Um, but yeah, July 25th is my expected kind of start date right around there at Grand Park. But I think this is much different than what you maybe would have like in January, February. I think when the season comes to a close, that R and R could extend much deeper than just a couple of weeks. But I think right now, you take a week, decompress a bit, maybe stretch that into two weeks. But then once July gets here, you know, I, a guy like Zaire Franklin, I know, is going to spend some time with Bobby Wagner, one of the you know best linebackers certainly in modern day and probably in NFL history. Um, you know, guys are going to work out together. Anthony Richardson, Gardner Minshew are going to get together with some of those Colts pass catchers. Uh, they will do some training down in Florida. So I think you are certainly building up for what you know is going to be some six month grind from there. You know, with the offseason program, Jake coming to a close last week, I think one of the most disappointing aspects to the spring was the fact that. After the draft, one of the reasons why I loved the draft the most was because I finally felt like Chris Ballard said, premium positions are going to be addressed with premium draft picks. You went quarterback, you went cornerback, you went wideout, you went offensive tackle, um, you took multiple cornerbacks, you took multiple offensive tackles. I don't feel like that has been, it hasn't been the norm for Ballard. So I really like that. And I think back to Andrew Luck's rookie season, and remember how much those rookies impacted? 
not just luck, obviously. Dwayne Allen, Kobe Fleener, T.Y. Hilton, Vic Ballard. Um, I mean, you got instant impact from that rookie class, and I think that really set you up for the next several years where you had the best success you've had over the last decade. And I kind of looked at this class and thought, can you get a similar contribution out of that? But if you look back on this spring that just wrapped up, and you look at the first eight draft picks, so basically rounds one through five, Jake, five of those eight guys missed at least three weeks of work in the spring. So I'm curious how or if that is going to stunt some of their growth, maybe stunt some of their year one impact. Obviously, Richardson was out there the whole time. He's the most important one, so that's what probably matters more than anybody else. But Juju Brent's the corner out of Warren, missed the entire spring with a wrist injury. Josh Downs has a great rookie minicamp, and then he misses a month due to a knee injury. Um, you get into the r- round five, Will Mallory, the grandson of Bill Mallory, the tight end out of Miami. He injures his foot, a tight end depth chart that looks very much up in the air. He misses virtually the entire spring. Daniel Scott, safety out of Cal, he tears his ACL. So I think when you get into the rookie impact, that is a bit of a bummer. I, I'm not acting like, oh my gosh, you know, hell's freezing over in this 2023 draft class isn't going to contribute at all. But I do think that's one aspect to the spring where when you go for 12-1, and one, you like to think you can get some quick day one impact from your rookies. And for several of these guys, they're going to enter training camp with a little bit of a steeper mountain to climb just because they weren't on the field hardly at all in the spring. You know, I feel like Ballard, Kevin, I feel like this summer, and this will be interesting to me to see where this goes from this, I feel like this is the summer that Chris Ballard finally showed a little bit of humility. You know, by and I mean that in a good way. I, I think fans appreciate it. Um, Chris Ballard, to be honest with you, I, I think since the time he got here, has been pretty arrogant, pretty arrogant. And and to a lot of fans, I think they see him as very aloof and the smartest guy in the room. And and then I think it took a lot of humility. It took a lot of maturity, professional maturity. I mean to. To sit up there in a press conference at the end of last year and say, you know what, this is on me. This was unacceptable, and this is 100% on me. And I think people appreciated that. And so by doing that and then redirecting, to your point, the way that the the, the roster was built a little bit or the way it's being built a little bit, um, he is so far making the most of kind of his second lease, if you will, because I think there are a lot of people that thought that he was getting, okay, well, you know, we're going to give you another shot here, but let's see what you can do. And the next two years are huge. I think he knows that, right? Yeah, I think you're giving him a little bit too much credit and the amount of humility that he showed. I mean, what else is he going to say? Well, totally. I agree with that. They but. just went 4 12 and 1. You're going to tell us that our eyes are lying to us? But he, th- but, but he Kevin, had no choice other than to say that. I don't know about that. I mean, if he if his job was safe, he could have sat there and said, "Listen, trust the process or whatever." Um, I, you know, he. I think a little bit of humility with maybe the draft focus, but free agency is the same old, same old. Offensive line, he's blaming all of it on the coaching staff. He's sticking with the same personnel. He's made virtually zero moves outside of that. Um, I little bit of humility is probably the right way to say it. Like you said, but again, outside of the draft, I don't think we've seen anything different from Chris Boward and how he's operated with this offseason. They're sitting here on twenty some million of cash from a cap space standpoint. Uh, the support for the quarterback is still a major question of mine. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I don't think you're alone in that. I do think there are people that are like, why have they not? You know. But by, by the way, the the, the printer printed out uh, every the logo of every professional sports team. Boy, I, I'm nervous for you right now. 
not only the quantity of papers, but the color ink. I mean, (laughs) if I would have done that in junior high or high school, I'd have like in-school suspension for a week. Well, they they would do that here, but we're the only people here. Uh, Actually, we're serving in-school suspension. It's today, right? Sean Copeland just texted me. He was like, you better watch out for Jake right now with all that ink he just used. (laughs) Okay. No, hold on. I'm going to, I'm just going to pull out a sheet of paper and then Mark, I want you to tell me the first athlete you think of when you see this logo. I have every sport known to man. First athlete. Mike Trout. Okay. Oh, that was easy. All right. We'll do another one. Hold on. This is great radio. I realize. Uh, Hang on. But this is just a show. Now there are some that. (laughs) Good luck on that one, Mark. I might have picked the most random. Literally, uh, I just I, randomly picked. I've actually been to a game there. This I, might be the most random franchise in the profession. The I'm American shocked they're still sports. in existence. I mean, it's Ar- Phoenix Coyotes, but I, I Arizona think it's Arizona Coyotes. Arizona right? Coyotes. Wayne Gretzky is that the most synonymous athlete with them? It's a pretty cool logo when you really look at it. It's like a Native American artwork. It's kind of cool. Anyway, who do you think would have been better for the game of golf, Rory Win or Ricky Fowler Win? Probably Rory. Rory right? Yeah, I'd say Rory. I think it's six and one half dozen the other. Isn't Rory, though, like, you know that he's there, uh, a full resurrection of Ricky? Like, if you could get Ricky now back into the conversation with all of them, I just feel like that brand is something that golf could use. I, I, I think the biggest challenge golf has right now, again, I'm going to come from the, I'm coming from the flyover fan okay like passerby on the you know oh yeah golf's on it's a major i'm gonna watch to me and i know that you i i I get that other people are going to be like this guy's an idiot but to me it is difficult for me to determine or or to to keep straight in my mind who is a quote-unquote live golfer and who is a stood by their ground golfer and so that storyline to me is confusing. And so one of the one of the areas where I think golf did get lucky by this merger or whatever else is the fact that that because the longer that goes, the more the the ugly the uglier it gets, and and people just start to become they're like I don't know I can't keep this straight and they check out. So that storyline itself is probably relevant right now. But I don't know. Thank goodness they got that resolved, seemingly, because the longer that would have gone, Kevin, the more people would have just found something else. Double check this with Will Haskett when he joins us here in about 10 minutes. But I believe the vote for um, the public investment fund and the PGA Tour with this merger, I think, is not this week at the Travelers Tournament in Connecticut, but I believe is next week at the tournament in Detroit. I want to confirm that with Will Haskett because. And I was totally good with it. It was nice to have kind of a four to four to five day break in the golf world as a fan of it from all of that. And I think the U.S. Open did provide some of that. The Wyndham Clark, did you guys watch? Records randomly. Uh, my diehard Mark McGuire. Yeah. Starting to get Jeremy Giambi would be the one that I would go with. Okay. Uh, did you guys watch the final putt? I know Paul Eisinger seemed a bit nervous with all the fans potentially like storming the green there. I did not. I saw it. Yeah. Were you? Were, did you have those same nerves? No, I didn't yeah. think so. I actually thought it was a decent scene. You know, yeah. get all the fans around that, and what? Hell, the, the most lively I saw it all weekend. It seemed. Yeah, like. major issues with tickets distributed, and it was way too corporate-y. And maybe that's just LA. Correct. There were 
what did I see? It was like 25% of the available tickets, even at all, were distributed to the general public. And I guess the like members that. then like bought up a ton of the general admission tickets. They had some like grandstands that were member only. I, I was really disappointed about that. I, I did, and I know that you had mentioned this, Kevin. I thought about this. I think it's $250,000 is the initial membership fee to the Los Angeles Country Club is what it's called, right? Correct, uh-huh. Uh, how much must that land be worth? Yeah. I, I, I mean, let me tell you something. I was in L.A. for the Long Beach race in April. I was driving to dinner in West Hollywood and passed – I kind of went off the main grid to go through a side street to get to the restaurant where I was going. And on this side street were houses that were n- nice – Nice houses, but look like the houses that you would see. I'm trying to think of like an area of Indianapolis to compare it to, like Cold Springs Road, like the the, the houses that you would see at like 20th and Cold Springs Road. Like nice bungalow brick houses, probably two bedrooms and 1,600 square feet. So I I actually <clears throat> looked at the address on one of them, and then when I got to the restaurant, I I zillowed it. You know, 2.2 million. For like a quarter acre, 1,600 square foot home and a decent area. Can you imagine what the property must be worth that that country club sit, a golf right. course sits on? I mean, hell, just look at the homes around it. You know, they, they had some unbelievable drone shots of like Lionel Richie's property to the right of the fourth hole, the Playboy Mansion that's no longer the Playboy Mansion, the right of 14T. I, I don't know if this is factual. I mean, I'm sure it would take a lot to like look up, but I thought I heard... It's the most expensive property in the United States that a golf course is on. I mean, it's got to be. Yeah. Now, they have 36 holes as well, which contributes to, obviously, the vastness of it. Um, but yeah, that certainly... I, I was very disappointed, though, from an atmosphere standpoint, environment standpoint. Now, Roy and Ricky Fowler did absolutely nothing to inject life into that crowd. Nothing in the final round. I, I thought the only pressure that Wyndham Clark really felt in the final round was U.S. Open pressure. Nothing from his playing competitors. And that, to me, was disappointing from, and especially in Roy's case, guys that have been there. You know, when you're a group ahead, that guy gets to watch you hit, you know, 90% of your golf shots all day from behind you. And if Rory's able to make a birdie putt or two, now all of a sudden that guy's back in the fairway thinking about it. Instead, Wyndham Clark's sitting there in the 14th fairway, a 280-yard three-wood into the green, and he watches Roy McIlroy just look like a hack out there making a bogey from 120 yards and boom Wyndham Clark hits probably the golf shot of the tournament to that point hits three wood on the green two putt birdie and that gave him the cushion he needed then because he did bogey 15 he bogeyed 16 but a hell of an up and down on 17 and quite the two putt on, I, on on 18. I feel bad recycling all of these these are beautiful literally I have sitting before me that is like 200 pages uh, of the printout, beautiful color printout of the logo of every professional team in the United States. Yeah, that. Um, I'm a little nervous about the color ink bill here in the month of June <laughs> at mean, Radio One. Uh, yeah, well, how many paper? I mean, Jake, I, that's I, honestly, I, I, I have no idea how that happened. You print it out like a term paper or memoir, and it's just. Why don't logo. you just leave the MLB scores up on the screen? It's. Listen, this is an easier way of me. This is the way I do things. That's the way it's going to be. Scotty's out for the week, so one. Not, because not what, one if the, what if I have the what if I have the MLB scores up on the screen, and then all of a sudden it's time to talk about like golf, and I need the results. Well, you click well, the then next you have tab. a golf tab and a fever box have you, have score you, tab. Have you tried using this computer? It's run by a chipmunk that's on a smoke break. 
Maybe it's literally operating. It's literally like dial-up internet. Well, you know. Now, you guys are going to sit here and throw me down the river, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. How often do we see the little oscillating dial thing on here? This from a Hookfish. Uh, LACC Real Estate, thank you for this. Estimated to be worth $8 billion. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable, right? That guy's a great follow on Twitter, by the way. Joe Pompliano. He's like Eight. Darren Ravel, but actually manageable. Eight billion. Ho hum, right? Same as Coffin Golf Course here downtown in Indianapolis. All right, he's Jake Query, shockingly. Um, he's having technological issues here. <laughs> I'm not on this Monday morning. You literally just printed what, 122 logos? Yeah. Of professional I, you never teams? know when you might need a logo of the Dallas Stars. I've got it right here. Do you need it? I've got I'm it. I'm Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton is with us as well. Will Haskett going to join us here in a few. Tony East coming up at 9. Again, uh, Brian Windhorst from ESPN. Reporting the Pacers have a good amount of interest in potentially moving that 7th pick for a high-level wing. Uh, what are Tony's thoughts on that? Who would that wing be? We'll do that coming up a little bit later. Kevin Aquari here. On a- Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Monday. All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Let's talk more about Wyndham Clark winning the United States Open. Will Haskett joins us from PGA Tour Radio. Well, I think to you know a, a large, large chunk of the audience watching yesterday, Wyndham Clark was a relatively new name, very accomplished collegiate player though, and I think you were just kind of waiting for, hey, when is he going to join the other Oklahoma State guys? Um, you know, near the top of the professional game. I know he transferred to Oregon after that. Uh, what can you tell us though about Wyndham Clark? Well, I think we were all waiting for it, really, up until the last month. So, I mean, it was a guy who took advantage of committing himself in a way that he had never committed himself as a professional and doing all of the little things to get better in all the areas he needed to get better in. And then it just so happened that when it all clicked for him, then it also clicked for him in a major. I mean, his track record in majors, I mean, yesterday was, or this week was his seventh start, I think, in a major and hadn't finished inside the top 70. I mean, this isn't exactly as if, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I've always had the game against the biggest fields. But when it was, you know, really, really good, was a guy who got his card relatively quickly on the PGA Tour and was able to sort of maintain that, but was kind of slotted into that category of, a guy who's going to be on tour for 15 years is going to make a lot of money, maybe win once or twice, and that was going to be it. And then all of a sudden this season, he was putting together consistent finishes. He probably could or should have won the team event in New Orleans two months ago, and then went the designated event at, well, at Wells Fargo, um, and then now is a major champion. So it, it has happened relatively quickly for a guy that I think always had the talent, but... I think didn't have the all around game to be one of the world's best. And so he's become in 2023, an elite iron player. And that's really the major differentiator from most of the guys at the top of the sport, because prior to this year, he was really known for a guy who could just absolutely bomb it. Just incredible length. 
Um, had a pretty good putter. It's gotten a little bit streakier as he's gotten older, but that was kind of he's kind of a two trick guy. Like he could really drive it, he could really putt it, but everything in between could be a little bit sketchy at times from a high level standpoint. And not only for him to just sort of have this, I guess, validation of all the work that he put in to win this tournament, but to hit the shot. I mean, to be under the spotlight really for two straight days and hit the shots he needed to hit especially more so yesterday when it became obvious there was going to be either him or Rory and he couldn't just kind of hide in this massive leaderboard of people. That to me was more impressive because he had to step up yesterday with his guts obviously just churning and figure out a way to get it done. You know, I, I, I swear, Will, I thought you said he could absolutely vomit. And I thought, well, I mean, you know, I don't know if he was that nervous. but I almost did. I think he looked like he was going to at one point in time yesterday. <laughs> but, but vomit no, is what you said. Yeah. Um, I remember Will. Will Haskett is our guest on the Pedestal Hotline. I remember several years ago asking Will Power, obviously before he won Indy, but asking him about, because Will Power had been a road and street course specialist, basically, who had yet to win on an oval. And I remember asking him about it, and he said, you know, I get the feeling that if I do win an oval and kind of get that off my back, then they'll kind of come in bunches. And I'm curious if golf is like that. You know, when a guy wins, I mean, we're looking at a guy here in Clark that that won his first tournament, what, six weeks ago. I'm not saying that that means all of a sudden he's going to become the guy, but is there a psychological aspect to it, Will, for professional golfers that they can hang around and hang around, but once they finally break through, then that that level of the mental game is gone for them, and it's one thing less to worry about? Yes, if you think the mental hurdle was the reason for it. It's kind of like the... I could even flip this and put it on Rory. You know, once Rory wins the next major, could he win like three or four in a two or three year window of time? Yeah, probably also because you feel like there's a little bit of a mental hurdle to, you know, to will putts into the hole or whatever it might sort of take for Rory. I know we'll probably end up talking about Rory here eventually. So, yes, I think a little bit for Wyndham Clark in that regard of just feeling the confidence of, oh, I do belong out here and I can win with these guys. But I think he's a, probably a better example of somebody who really put the time in to be like, look, I'm deficient in certain ways and I'm going to get better at this. And now that he's a better all around player, he puts himself in a position to win more often. And it's really kind of a probability game, right? Like a lot of guys in professional golf, you know, maybe like Cameron Young's a great example of it right now. Like, you know, finished runner up at a couple of majors last year was kind of on, on the cusp there. And from just a pure probability standpoint, probably should have won once. You know, and then when he finally does, it's like, oh, that's the law of averages sort of evening things out. I think there's a little bit of both with Wyndham, the way that he has played in his career, but there's no doubt that he put in the time this year to just be a better player. Now, is that sustainable? That's the million-dollar question. We never really know. I mean, does he have the game to continue doing this for a little while? Sure, but he's got to stay healthy. There are a lot of other players that are super talented out there. Um, is, Is he right now in the peak of his entire professional golf career? Like, it's really unfair to sort of say, but there's a real, real reality that he is. Like, you know, he may never play better golf the rest of his professional life than he's played over the last month and a half, two months. And that's okay also. It's really hard to play at that level. But he's got a U.S. Open championship. He's a major champion. And uh, the party's going to continue for a little while for Wyndham, and you can never take that away from him. Well, let's move on to Rory. And again, Will Haskett with us here from PGA Tour Radio. You know, when Rory goes out in the group in front of Will, or in front of Wyndham Clark, it's such a golden opportunity to have Wyndham Clark watch you hit 90% of your golf shots and then have to hit that golf shot right after he watches you maybe make a birdie. 
in front of you. And Rory did that on one, and that was it. That was it for the entire day. And, you know, Wyndham Clark's just watching miss 30-footer after miss 30-footer. And I don't... There were definitely shots that Wyndham Clark had to hit yesterday where he was tied for the lead with guys. But for the most part, you know, I would say for the whole back nine, he had a lead the entire time. And again, credit to him. The up and down on nine and 11, the two par threes, outstanding. You know, when he leaked some oil on 15 and 16, hell of an up and down on 17, then the two putt on 18. But I just felt like the pressure Wyndham Clark felt yesterday was mostly U.S. Open first time in a major in this moment pressure. You know, not necessarily... Rory pressure, or obviously throw in Ricky, throw in Scotty Scheffler, other guys as well. I thought that was the missing ingredient from Rory yesterday is he never made that putt or the missed opportunity on eight to par five to really all of a sudden say, Wyndham Clark, I'm here right next to you on the leaderboard, and I'm not moving from that from that spot. Yeah, it would have been a lot more, I think, entertaining had Wyndham Clark had to play a hole knowing that if I make bogey here, I lose the lead. Correct. Right, on the back nine, and that never really happened. And there were multiple moments you can point to. I thought that him making the turn and hitting a few sketchy shots, you know, after he makes the really spectacular bogey at eight, you know, after driving and you know, whiffing at it once, you know, left of that green. And then you're right. Like, he easily could have compounded that with another bogey at nine. He tugged a couple of shots left. He makes some incredible up and downs. And some of that great skill and gut, and some of that, you know, maybe is a little bit of the luck of the lot. I mean, the shot on 11 was crazy. I mean, to hit that clipper off of a bare Bermuda lie was, that took a lot of stones to try and hit that shot, and he did it. But you're right about Rory. Um, if, you know, he, he wills a couple of putts in here or there, it's different. If he steps up and hit a, a golf shot, I think the difference, too, in the round yesterday is that a couple of the birdies that Wyndham Clark made, including the pivotal hole, which was 14, the par 5 on the back, is that he stepped up and hit shots that sort of gifted him the birdie, that gave him the birdie, that gave him the breather. And outside of the two swings out of the gate from Rory on one that set up, you know, the two-putt birdie, Everything else was really, really solid. It was what you'd want from somebody who's maybe leading the U.S. Open, but it didn't put him in a position to just make that one birdie to tie or that one birdie to go ahead. And by bogeying 14, and he's had a run last couple of weeks. Like He's been in contention for three straight weeks, including at Memorial, and he's butchered a couple of par fives, which is just not what Rory seems to do. So for him to you know whiff a shot into the bunker, and really I thought – I mean, I guess that ball was embedded on 14 for Rory, but I thought got it a tremendous break. Oh, hell of a break. Somehow embedded. I mean, if, it, if it's not embedded, then we're looking at maybe seven and then an absolute walk in the park for Wyndham Clark. But, yeah, it's that was one of those situations where, like, you are the best driver of the golf ball maybe ever. And you step up there and you can't find that fairway at 14. According to, I think it was what John Wood was with that group. And even he said on the broadcast, like, I thought that he had a good enough lie to at least try and, you know, scoot this thing up around the green and give himself a better look at making birdie. And for you to walk away with six and then Wyndham Clark turns around and just absolutely laces that three wood up there and gives himself that birdie. That to me was the turning point. And that's where Rory has that. That was his moment. Like he played really, really smart. Really good tee to green golf yesterday, but 14 with the way that that leaderboard was shaping out was the place to go and do it. Make the birdie and then make the guy behind you have to stay in that tie with you. And instead, we ended up with a kind of a three shot swing and a really in the snap of the fingers. And thankfully, Wyndham made it a little bit entertaining by gassing a couple of shots down the stretch. But I really kind of felt like that golf tournament was over after 14. We had this debate um, with my in-laws on Saturday night, and obviously nothing happened on Sunday, so I guess it's kind of a moot point, but I'm just curious your thoughts on it. What would have been better for the game of golf, a Rory win or a Ricky win? 
Um, that's a great question. I think those in the game of golf would have preferred seeing Ricky win it just as kind of a career achievement award type of thing. And, and also a, a tremendous uh, tip of the cap to a guy that kind of bottomed out two years ago and has climbed all the way back to being in contention. I think right now in the moment, Rory McIlroy's brand and gravitas over the sport is so great that him being a major champion probably means more to the game of golf in this particular moment. So I think the answer to the question is Rory, just because even though Ricky is, you know, an incredible brand ambassador for the sport, you know, Rory's on that elite pedestal of guy that from every corner of the globe, I think that win would resonate a little bit stronger. So I'd say slight advantage. I thought that Rory winning probably has the greater impact on the game and in everything that's going on in the sport as well. Will Haskett is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Will, this is a really elementary question here. You ready? Please. But I want you to educate for me or people whose golf knowledge is even below mine, okay? Mm -hmm. Like in basketball, you've got or baseball, we'll use baseball. You know, you got the five tool player, right? They can run the bases, yep. they can field, they can hit, whatever. In golf, there are how many tools to being a great golfer? There's short game, meaning you're putting. There's driving. Yeah. There's intermediate. What do you call it? Like your what your chipping game, basically. Yeah. We specifically measure. I mean, statistics now, advanced analytics. We're measuring four aspects of the game. So effectively, you're off the tee game. So driving the golf ball. Your approach game, which is any golf shot into a green between, well, I guess officially 40 yards and, and right. up. Um, and then short game would be anything around the green, which is really hard. I mean, it's measured. It's probably the least scientifically valid stat we have because no short game shot around the green is the same depending on lie and, and all other sort of stuff. So whether you're in a bunker or heavy rough or what your lie is like, yada, yada, yada. And then obviously putting, which is the easiest thing to measure success of because you know, putts are all relatively the same, you know, um, you know, they're measured by distance in terms of how we measure it. So those are really the four areas that we measure. Now within that, there are buckets where we could measure sand play versus play from the rough worth it's worth pitch shots from the fairway, things of that nature. But for the most part, we're measuring guys on off the tee approach around the green or short game shots and putting. And obviously you have some guys, John Daly comes to mind that made a living off of being like outstanding in one area and maybe average in the others or you know what I mean offsetting different areas of those four but in today's golf the three golfers that have the highest score amongst the four or the most balance amongst the four areas are which yeah so I mean so think about this like all of those different areas we can measure we can total those up and we get what is effectively your strokes gain total which is your average compared to the field which is also just a reflection of your score. So what you're asking is, you know, Scotty Scheffler right now is without a doubt the best player in the game statistically over the last several months. It's actually not even close, and the numbers that he's putting up are video game comical, how good they are, except for putting. Like, his numbers are so good in the other three areas, and he's barely an average putter. In fact, he may still be a little bit sub-average over the last three months, which is amazing to think because he now has 17 top 12 finishes in a row, including three in majors. And yet he's putting like the 45th guy in the field every week, or in some cases, the dead last guy in the field. He was almost dead last in putting at Memorial two weeks ago and finished one shot out of a playoff, which is just amazing to sort of think about. So he obviously isn't the answer to your question, but just kind of put into perspective, you can be the best player statistically in the game right now and be average or below average at one of those four categories. Um, the best all-around players, the, the first two are easy. It's John Rahm and Patrick Cantlay. Third right now, I think, is 
somewhere in kind of the Tyrrell Hatton realm of category. I don't have all the stats in front of me, but the easiest answer all the time is John Rahm and Patrick Cantlay. They are the two best, most balanced golfers. They don't have a flaw in their game. They're phenomenal chippers, wonderful iron players, elite combination of driving. They're both significantly longer than average and also very accurate compared to their speed. And they're both really good. I mean, putters, putting is always streaky. There are very few people who show up every week and are better putters than the rest of the field. Um, but those two typically don't have many bad weeks. So it's one and two, it's kind of one A and one B in terms of best all around player in the sport. And then there's a whole lot of guys, I think, competing for that third spot. So sorry for the longer um, answer there, but those are the two guys that are always stand out to mind to me. Well, it was really refreshing to have a nice four or five day break from all of the drama from the public investment fund and the merger with the PGA Tour and that storyline. Unfortunately, that now becomes uh, top of mind in the world of golf, probably until the next major, which would be the British Open to round out the major year coming up in a month. Uh, What is next, do you think? Is it more details from a press release that was initially released and was very vague on details? And correct me if I'm wrong, but we get like a policy board vote on what it could look like coming up not this week but next week at detroit yeah i don't have really any timing or details on it i mean i think it's it's yeah we've had two really good weeks of golf in the kind of the fallout of this whole situation my last last night i kind of left the tv on after the coverage is over with and then when i came back downstairs to kind of clean up like wthr had the news on and they were already talking about congressional hearings about this and by the way they got like six of the names and facts wrong but you know local local media for you but anyway uh, i digress it was i don't really know what the next step is in terms of information we don't have any information and i think it's kind of funny that the biggest news story right now is congress wants to talk to this person or this committee wants to do this it's like well how can we question something that we don't even have we don't have an agreement and no one's really necessarily signed anything it was sort of a handshake agreement that literally just stopped litigation everything else still has to be worked out so there, nothing's been approved, nothing's been signed, but we're already upset that it's violating something. Like, I don't really know. I don't know. I'm confused as to why a lot of the ancillary, you know, governing bodies are already concerned when we don't even have, we don't even know what it's going to look like. So to answer your question in kind of a roundabout way, I think the next step or two is the PGA Tour still hasn't announced its schedule for next year, so that's going to give us at least a framework from which I'm sure more people are going to speculate. Does this mean that there's going to be overlap here, or what does that do for you know Live's schedule? Does Live end up announcing its own schedule for 2024 sometime thereafter? And then I'm still thinking it's going to be a couple of months away from both sides sort of hammering out whatever the the organizational agreement is and, and process is. But again, if we believe everything from the original press release, there's going to be a for-profit entity that's an umbrella that's a combination of the PGA Tour, the BP World Tour, and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. And then they oversee their... That, that helps to bring in money from a for-profit venture to these other existing entities. And so if that is the case, then the PGA Tour continues operating the way that it's operating. The DP World Tour operates the way that it's operating. And then Live is going to operate in whatever way they still see a path forward. But I, again, we don't know like what that umbrella trickle-down means in terms of working these groups together maybe more strategically. Because keep on, the PGA Tour has a strategic partnership with the DP World Tour. Does this then allow them to do more cross events does that impact the schedule for next year until we see a schedule we really don't know um i guess until we see a schedule kevin we don't know how to speculate further because right now it's all speculative yeah again so vague on details okay 
last one, Will. I don't know how much information you can share on this, but I, I thought the atmospheres were pretty weak all week long at LA Country Club. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with just LA in general, but you know, I feel like Riviera and some of the other tournaments out there, you don't necessarily have a, as lack of a juice, if you will. I just expect more for a major championship. How much of this was simply like LACC as a country club and their ability to corporate the hell out of it and snag up so many of the general admission tickets? Yeah, there was some good reporting out there, and you can find it. I think Golf Digest maybe had a piece or Golf.com or somebody you know, kind of reported on the fact that compared to some U.S. Open venues, just because of the actual footprint of the property, you weren't going to be able to have 45,000 or 50,000 dailies, and it was down to 25,000. A lot of that was allocated to uh, corporate hospitality. So the people that were actually out there kind of walking the golf course was a very limited number compared to other years. And I think there was also, it's just weird to say that there wasn't enough space to accommodate all those people. And then to say at the same time that there wasn't, there was a lot of space away from the greens, but that was kind of how the golf course was set up. Um, so while the actual footprint, 300 acres or whatever, didn't really allow for 50,000 people to be on site, once you had the 9,000 or whatever were actually on the ground, a lot of times they were you know, kind of distant from some of the greens. And so I think that's what created a lot of the environment. I mean, we a lot of us have covered sports in Southern California. I wouldn't say that it's the most raucous of locations to sure. go to. You know, it's kind of a cool town. Um, and because it was hard to get to, because tickets were limited, because it was expensive, I don't think you had as much of a pilgrimage of golf fans like you would a Shinnecock or a Midwestern venue where it's easy for a lot of people to kind of get in cars and drive to places. And I think that contributes to environment, too, because a lot of times that environment are, are people who are, you know, they're spending thousands to travel. Like, that's, gonna, that's their Super Bowl. You know, they're getting on a plane and they're going to wherever that venue is. And so I think that had something to do with it. Um, it was an interesting week. I mean, from the scoring out of the gate to, you know, a lot of people doing that, there were a lot of very strong opinions, both players and, you know, esteemed members of the media about what this past week was like. And It'll be 16 years until it's back there again, and we'll see if it feels any different, although I have a funny feeling we won't have any idea remembering most of this stuff that we either complained about or championed 16 years from now when there's another U.S. Open there. I'm telling you, though, I'm going to make a prediction for you guys, and I mentioned this last week, and I'm going to stand by it. I have nothing to base it on other than just a gut feeling, and my gut's a little bigger than it used to be. Um, the Back to the, the conversation about the Saudi investment fund. Golf is their gateway. They are. They already have obviously some some monetary investment in American sports, but this is their test balloon. Not even test balloon. This is their entry, and they they are coming for other sports. And their money is going to be. They are going to tinker with. Uh, I don't know which one it'll be. One of the other major sports leagues in this country will have interruption from Saudi money. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, again, the big question is, I mean, if you want to draw a line in the sand of where the money comes from, I'm fully here for it. I'll fully support that passionate sort of plea. The question is, what does it do to the actual competition product? If you're in for loving sports and loving sport only, is it going to change how golfers play golf? I don't necessarily know. I mean, I think it has from a live standpoint. But if the investment is just an ROI situation and they want to invest in the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour is able to maintain its normal business practices, and does it change the sport that I'm covering? If And we've done this hypothetical a million times too, Jake. If if it hadn't been Roger Penske, but it had been a foreign entity that invested in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and made all of the same investment in, in uh, amenities and fan experience and just wanted to turn a profit. Like, I want this race to be good, but I want the fans to be happy with it. 
Would people be angry? Absolutely. But if the product continued to get better and the sport was better because of it, that's just a separate well, conversation and, and question. Well, it goes back. Right. It's coming for it. It goes back to the question that that I have asked to both you guys, and, and we don't know the answer and won't know the answer for some time. And that is: was Live Golf created because? the Saudi investment group felt like they could create what they thought was a better golf experience or was it created to open the doorways to them forcing PGA to move their money in it's one of those two I think it's probably the latter but we'll find out right I don't I don't think it's a perfect answer one way or the other but I think as we talked about this two weeks ago as soon as this thing came together relatively quickly and relatively privately I think it was a white flag from both sides in some way, shape, or form. Now, whatever that, whatever the balance of that is, I don't know. But the PGA Tour is certainly saying, and they've been very public about that, is that we couldn't win an arms race over the course of time in terms of money. But I think also the PIF being like, listen, we're losing $500 million a year on a golf tour that no one's paying attention to. Because, again, at the end of the day, most sports fans will call you out for a bad product. And I think they also recognize that. And they're like, well, if we want to legitimately play in the golf space, we've got to go to where legitimate golf is. And what they helped to fund, not necessarily their full idea in Live Golf, was not what they deemed to be a successful golf product since its launch last year. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. Um, and that, again, gives me, uh, again, if I want to walk away from the sport that you know puts food on my kid's table out of just sheer, like, um, you know, like a, a hard stance principle. I, I mean, I guess I can be called you know a hypocrite for it, but at the same point in time, like I, if this helps just keep the sport that I love moving forward and maybe invest in it in a positive way, then I guess I'm just going to kind of put my tail between my legs and keep going golf because it's a wait and see approach right now. Well, last last thing, I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit. U.S. Open back to you know the, the Saudis and the PGA Tour and everything, but going back to Wyndham Clark for just a second, it is quite amazing to me. Like if you'd have told me on Saturday night, hey Kevin, uh, Rory, Ricky Fowler, Dustin Johnson, Xander Shoffley, and I forget Scotty Scheffler, those five guys, none of them are going to beat Wyndham Clark tomorrow. Just like straight up in the 18th, you know, in the final round of the tournament, none of them shot better than 70. I, I can't tell you how much money I would have lost on that bet. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think that there was certainly pressure. I don't think Ricky was going to have it. I think we could sort of see the diminishing returns as the week went on. I think Scotty might have been the hottest guy out of that group, yeah. considering how he yeah. finished Saturday. I thought it was kind of. A, I thought Scotty would win as well. I just thought that there was going to be enough early nerves in Wyndham Clark. But I will say this: I mean, two things about Wyndham Clark is that he was given probably a perfect leaderboard of stars around him to just sort of draft, even though he was in front, but to draft off of the energy and the expectations of everybody else. Like, no one gave him a chance to win. So if it's a five-shot lead on the first tee, it's a different feeling for Wyndham Clark. Like, he had to hold off Rory, who's pulling a giant gallery in front of him. He's with Ricky, and there was a great nugget that he shared last night from a sports psychologist who said, the night before, he's like, look, everybody's pulling for Ricky in your group. Like, no one wants to see you win. So every time you hear go Ricky, say to yourself, I'm going to show them who they should actually be rooting for. Like, And he and Ricky are tight. Like, Ricky's his mentor, a couple years older than him, and was ahead of him at Oklahoma State. And still, like, I really love that message from a sports psychology standpoint is no one believes in you. Go show them a reason to believe in you. Like, put that chip on your shoulder. And he had some shots. I mean, early on, like, he was not deterred on the front nine. He did not come out timid in that tournament yesterday. And so I think a little bit of being that guy that no one expected probably helped him a little bit. 
way more than if it was three other guys you maybe hadn't heard of or three non-superstars that are at the top of the board and they're all out there just trying to figure, figure out who's not going to gas it. Well, outstanding stuff. Appreciate all the um, uh, segments you've hopped on with us over the last few weeks. Hopefully, things will be a bit quiet between now and the British Open, but I find that hard to believe. Uh, thank uh, uh, you. Uh, British Open, yes. Uh, uh, no, we're very excited. So Tiger's we, officially out, KB. I don't know if you saw that last week. Officially out. So that would be uh, no Tiger. Disappointing week. Say that again. Tiger's officially out. Now, no, you know, yeah, you boy. Seen the news. Thanks for breaking my heart a little extra, yeah. as if financially I didn't have enough invested in Aurora <laughs> yesterday. Thank you, Will. We'll ask it right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Do you know what? Um, for the British Open, do you know why uh, overweight people in Britain like to bet on Tiger Woods? It's the easiest way to lose a couple of pounds. In my opinion, that sucks. <laughs> several people told me that they're clamoring for the British accent. What's well, back? Mark, we could have used that about three seconds earlier. <laughs> yeah. Kind of cut off just a, any people, sort of attempt. People at love it. I, you know, we get. I get a lot of. I go out in public, and the kids in particular just love the British accent. People have fun with it. They love it. Time but for more to check down here. On that. Kevin and Corey. If now you're just you, joining you us, see kids on the street, you can hand them a, t- a team, hand them a piece of paper. Like, here's your team for well, the that's day, Well, that's what I was going to do right now. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. Uh, if you're just joining us earlier this morning, because Scotty Johnson's off this week, so I decided to be the responsible one of the trio here, you know, as the elder statesman, and print out some of the sports results for our morning checkdowns. And somehow or another, I have no idea what button I pushed, what I actually did on one of the big websites was print out the logo of every major professional sports mm-hmm. team in the United States. So just real quick, can you tell me when to stop here? while I'm flipping, Mark? Stop. Okay. I would like for you to tell me the signature athlete, the first one you think of when you see this logo. Uh, Kachuk. Chris Pronger. Chris Pronger's probably good. Well, that would be the... All right. Uh, we'll do one real quick. St. Louis Blues, by the way. Do we think this is mediocre radio? Yeah. Okay, you ready? Or is that even too big of a compliment? It's probably the same as talking Stop. nine minutes about golf swings. Okay. We did that one already. I said Mark McGuire. Jeremy Giambi. Amazing that we'd get the Oakland A's. By the way, the Oakland A's losers yesterday in Major League Baseball, but the Cincinnati Reds were not. They are the hottest team in the majors. Break Don't them up. Don't look now, but here come the Red Legs. Thank hey, you, man. Mark. Half game out now in the NL Central are your Cincinnati Reds. 9-7 winners over the Houston Astros. That is a sweep. Break out the brooms. Cardinals over the Mets 8-7 yesterday. It was the Braves over the Rockies, 14-6. Cute fella doubling up the Cubs, 6-3. That puts them a game and a half now up on the Diamondbacks in our race for PBR. Uh, elsewhere, Guardians over the Diamondbacks, 12-3. And you had mentioned that the Indianapolis Indians beaten yesterday, right? Yes, they have lost five in a row. But they are home all week long. Coming up here, a doubleheader on Wednesday if you're looking to get out to victory field. We mentioned Wyndham Clark, the winner of the U.S. Open. Um, Jake, yesterday you were busy with Road America, and it was Alex Pillow who was having, I don't think it's probably too much of a hyperbole to say, one of the more consistent, dominant years IndyCar's seen. Yeah, he's put together a heck of a season, has Alex Pillow, who is the points leader now, was going into it and just added to that. Yesterday, the win in Road America over Joseph Newgarden, Potter Award, Scott Dixon, and the pole sitter Colton Herta. Herta led more laps than anybody else, but... Uh, late fuel strategy. He had to kind of start conserving fuel that allowed those four that I just mentioned to pass him, including Polo, who goes on to the win. So week off, and then Mid Ohio coming up. Dixon here in two weeks. did have a hell of a run, though, right? Compared to where he started, he did. yeah, he he finished uh, in fourth, started twenty third, so he worked his way nineteen through the field. Solid run. If you missed it, some fireworks on Saturday between Will Power. Uh, Will Power certainly was the the instigator of it. Uh, was not happy with an incident involving Scott Dixon and him. Well. 
well, on Dixon track was the on track instigator. Power yes. was the reactionary instigator. Yes. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. Uh, it had so much drama that SportsCenter actually played a clip from it. So good for IndyCar there. Uh, thank you to Andy for this. Surely Jake knows his British accent is probably the worst one most of us have ever heard. What's that? From Andy. I, I, I believe that's rubbish. Uh, the Fever lost the Atlanta Dream yesterday, 4-7 and seven on the year, the Indiana Fever. Coming up at 9 o'clock, Tony East going to join us as we are three days out from the NBA draft. The importance for the Pacers speaks for itself, but they could do a variety of things leading into Thursday night. We'll chat more about that coming up here on the other side. You're listening to Kevin Aquari right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Uh, yesterday, did you happen to watch, uh, I saw the Alpha Hitchcock movie. How's that? Is that Okay. That was, that was all right. That was yes! Okay. That was yes! Yes! minutes before the hour. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Nine o'clock, good morning to you on Juneteenth. A federal holiday today. Rightly so, to commemorate the emancipation of 1865. And yesterday, of course, also a holiday, not a federal holiday per se, but Father's Day. And uh, this, I, I was, this did not bother me at all, but I found this interesting, guys. Yesterday, you know how on holidays you get like the mass texts, like on Thanksgiving, notably, you, you know, you wake up and you get 38 text messages as people that's like, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like they must have sent this to their entire contact Copy list. and paste. So I get up yesterday and I had a text from someone that I, I mean, I met like within the last year in a professional circumstance. And I thought, well, this has to be like a mass text and it just said, happy Father's Day. And I'm like, and I wrote back, you know, well, thank you, but I'm actually not a father. What? I thought for sure you have kids. No, I don't. Okay. What about Boo? Yeah. And then slap in the face. So then somebody else said, happy Father's Day to Cat Dad. And I said, okay, that counts. There you go. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I was on my way to the Speedway yesterday, and I stop at the gas station, and a guy walks out. I hold the door for him, and he goes, thanks, man. Happy Father's Day. Uh, Yeah, same to you. And then last night, I get home, my neighbor, I see my neighbor, who I I mean, literally know just as a neighbor of, hi, how are you? And the neighbor says, oh, happy Father's Day. It's the first time anybody's ever wished me a happy Father's Day. And then I, I got, I'm like, do people know something? What's going well, on? Maybe the neighbor has seen Boo. <laughs> that might be what it is, right? Your son's or playing in him. the window all the time. <laughs> or heard him, I guess, right? At the door when Jake's at work. Now, here's my other question for you having nothing to do with the world of sports, which I know thrills our boss. Um, you guys Bruce Springsteen fans, either one of you? Uh, I mean, nowhere near no. the type of fan that he's fine. a 58-year-old person in media is he, he, of this. Who's that? Oh, I just feel like every person... 
the world of sports media that's like 58 to 65 is diehard Springsteen. Really? Uh-huh. I, I think he's one of those guys that like people that are into Bruce Springsteen, like like Bruce Springsteen fans, if they're a Springsteen fan like that, they are all in, right? I mean, there's no in-between. I'm kind of in the in-between, though. and I've But I've always heard that he gives an unbelievably great concert. Like that he's high energy. Everything I've ever read about the guy is that he is just a super dude. So I decided, I'm like, you know what? I really want to see Bruce Springsteen in concert. He's on tour right now. He's in Europe, but he comes in the late fall to the U.S. Now, my question for you guys is this. Which concert would do you think is the – if I'm going to take – for example, today we are earning a comp day, right? Uh-huh. If I'm going to use that comp day for a day off, do would, which would you rather do? Would you rather go to Wrigley Field in mid-September, actually late August, to see Bruce Springsteen on a Wednesday night but it's an 8 o'clock start in Wrigley, which I think is 9 o'clock here, right? Yep. So that requires almost assuredly like an overnight stay you know, at some point, whatever, unless I come back at like 5 in the morning. Those tickets are a little more affordable. Or would you rather do a Thursday night, 7 o'clock Eastern time start at an indoor arena in Columbus, Ohio, but tickets almost double the, the price of the ones in Wrigley? What else do you have that weekend, the Columbus, Ohio weekend? Because if you can three day weekend it, that is very attractive. Uh, like, do you have obligate? Like, do you need to get back to Indy very quickly? Do you have obligation? Not I that Columbus, Ohio so. is a place you want to spend three days in, but I don't think that I do. Um, and this is Springsteen as well, just in Columbus indoors. Springsteen's playing in Columbus. He's at their whatever the venue is where the Blue Jackets play. Gotcha. Yeah, I would again. I've never, which actually, Maddie said to me yesterday. I played enough golf over the last few days. I told Maddie, no need for Father's Day gift whatsoever. Um, COVID kind of stopped this slash having kids. We were supposed to go to Wrigley. I've never been to Wrigley. Oh, and so we were supposed to go to Wrigley a couple years ago as a Father's Day present. And now she said to me yesterday, we're definitely going to Wrigley now in September. We just got to lock in some dates. So I would probably side with Wrigley. I don't love the Wednesday, but yeah, just take the Thursday comp day. Here's the thing, though. I, I thought about this as well. Do you factor in the fact that in, there is no chance with the Columbus date that it gets rained out? That that factors into it a little bit. No. I feel like it doesn't rain that much in the summer anymore. Don't you guys feel that way? So, I mean, they're not getting like climate change debate here, but I mean, has it rained, what, like two days in the last three weeks? How much do you factor fair. in the That's actual atmosphere of a concert? Like when you go to a concert. I know. That, Springsteen that, in the rain could be quite the atmosphere, too. I mean, it Rig- does rain a little. I, I've, I've seen Guns N' Roses at Soldier Field. I've not seen anybody at Wrigley. I mean, seeing somebody at Wrigley is pretty I'm going to vote Wrigley. I saw the Foo Fighters at Wrigley, and it was the best concert I've ever been to. The, the only pro- Okay, let me ask you this. Dumb question. Um, where do you park if you go to a concert at Wrigley? So we just took the train. Like we parked like at the Millennium Park garage by like Grant Park, and then you take like the uh, red line. Park at your hotel, Jake, for Thursday yeah, you night, park, and you then take the train. Yeah, it's and then yeah, I guess the red line get... stop by Wrigley. You just hop off, or well, I guess Wednesday night. You would obviously train is your best, there. but otherwise you're gonna pay like fifty dollars or more to park. Looking to park on Waveland? I'll just you know get the meter every every couple hours here. Everybody I've ever known that has been to, Spring, to Springsteen has said it, it's that he is a fabulous live performer. Yeah. No, I've definitely heard that. You know who else shares a birthday with your father today? Someone uh, that is a love in my life. A famous person, not a famous person. Oh. Tiger Woods. 
No, Tiger and LeBron have the same birthday. Yeah, though. I knew that. There's one other one on their birthday too, right? Isn't there? Yeah, like... there's one other kind of right around Christmas, if I'm not mistaken, just after. Oh, your wife? Uh, nope. October six for Maddie Bowen. Uh, the twenty-first birthday today for Benedict Matherin. Really? That's amazing to think he's just now twenty-one. So if the Pacers had won the NBA title this year, they could not have given him the champagne, right? <laughs> How does that work? Like, were there any members of the... Matherin strikes me as a dude that doesn't drink. Were there any members of the Denver... Christian... Okay, there we go. Christian Brown, how old is he? Well, he left up for his freshman year, right, at Kansas, so he's got to be under 21. So so were they giving him... Boy, did, did I, he I'm going to go out on a limb and say those rules aren't too heavily Oh, he's 22. Enforced. Really? How's that possible? Didn't he leave after his freshman year at Oh, Kansas? no, no, no. Um... No, he he was a multi-year player at Kansas. I thought for really? sure. He, I thought he left after his freshman year. I, I did too. I'm dead wrong on that. But that has to. I mean, there had to have been guys that when they were like nineteen were in the NBA and won. What do they do there? I know in racing, uh, Marco Andretti. When Marco Andretti like won a race when he was nineteen, they're like, listen, because they it was in Sonoma, and they had champagne and and IndyCar's like, no, you've got to give him like sparkling grape juice. You can't you can't hand him champagne. It's illegal. I know people are probably like tired of my obsession with Matherin, but I do find it kind of wild that like we talk about his rookie year, and I feel like when people describe it, it's a lot of yeah buts. Yeah, you know he kind of hit that wall, or like yeah, but you know he had too many turnovers. The dude averaged less than thirty minutes off the bench and scored sixteen points a game and became the first first team all rookie guy this franchise has had in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean and he's he, twenty. Uh, I mean like I. I just and you know you know how he's wired. He's not settling at all. He's, there's no level of contentment with him. And I felt like late in the year, you started to see a little bit more of the. All right, you can't just be a bull in the china shop when you drive. You've got to get others involved. I want to say the last game of the season actually was when he had six. I want to say it was six assists. He had a career high of like, okay, get in the lane, and obviously you've proven you can finish at the rim and, and get to the line, but you can get others involved. Uh, I continue to be extremely bullish. Hey, what's good, Kevin? I'm Mr. Matt. Thank you for your support. Harry, you're a big fan of the Pacers. Um, I'm here, you know, supporting you. You support me, and I'm really excited. <laughs> Mutual you know, I'm support. I'm really excited for the season and uh, looking forward to do some damage and get some wins. Let's go. I want to know, like, how, if they were told, like, oh, this is actually for, like, a mid-30s radio host, not for, like, a nine-year-old boy. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is for a loser. His name's Kevin Bowen. <laughs> the 17th-ranked radio program. By the way, uh, Zach Gunn, former Ball State and IUPUI basketball sure. star. HSE product. HSE product. Uh, ran into him Saturday night. And he said, man, I listen to you guys every single morning. He's like, I know you joke that you're the 17th ranked mid-market radio program, but you're better than that. I said, you're right, we're 15th. Look at that. Is that a good, good shooter, if I'm not mistaken? Oh, yeah. Six, seven. Good. He said he uh, had a knee injury, and he just graduated with a degree in um, project management. So, okay. Well, I had several projects that I had to do at the end of my college have him to so. come here and he can manage you printing things <laughs> God, that was a tough scene earlier today speaking of that just you go think ahead the quantity of the papers was tougher or the amount of color ink the, you the, this is literally like i mean there's it's probably 100 pages uh tell me when to stop mark now stop okay here we go Miss let's just say hi, let's just say hypothetically that they decide to move this radio program and we are going to transfer to a different city and have to talk about this team. Will we be happy or sad? Oh, you would be. I don't yeah, know if you, I would be. You'd be. Thrilled. Oh, look at that! That was on purpose. I think it was not. It's the cute fella. How about that? 
Giants. Would you want to live in Baltimore? I do. You know what? IndyCar had a two-year experiment in Baltimore. Might have been three. I think it was two years. Gosh, when you say it like that, it doesn't sound like it went well. It was. It to the contrary. The first year that we went to Baltimore for the IndyCar race, the it was a street course. Pit road was along Camden Yards, and then it went around the Inner Harbor, and it was the most massive success. I mean, it was packed. People were lined up along the fences. People were hanging out of apartments. It was fabulous. They did have a railroad track that created like a, a huge delay on the first day we were there, and there were some logistical nightmares. But it, but the politics of Baltimore between the, the mayor and the governor of Maryland and whatever else, it came into question in year two. In year two, the attendance dipped because it wasn't as promoted, but it was still big. And then it was a political reason that they backed out of it. Same thing happened when they planned one in Boston. That was the first time I'd been – the first and only – two times that I had been to Baltimore, and Kevin, I absolutely loved it. I loved the city of Baltimore. The history there was fantastic. It had a very quaint feel about it. Um, I I know that Baltimore's had its issues, and it's got some very rough areas. I actually walked through. I asked at the hotel where I wanted to go see Edgar Allan Poe's grave, and I walked past the grave and saw a sign that said Edgar Allan Poe with an arrow. And I'm, oh, well, I got to keep walking this way. And what I didn't know is I was walking through the Edgar Allan Poe Homes, which is the public housing district of Baltimore, which actually is the low rises that the pit is what they call it in The Wire, the TV show The Wire. It was for that reason that I began watching The Wire, which is the greatest television show ever made. So I felt like this connection or kinship to Baltimore. But I absolutely loved it. More all-star games for Benedict Matherin or Pro Bowls for Anthony Richardson? Oh, the first, for sure. It's a known quantity. You always go with a known quantity. I mean, Matherin, we at least know, we, we've seen the body of work to know that, that he, at the very least, is an established NBA player. Richardson, the potential might be there, but we don't know yet, right? Go with the known quantity there. Seventh overall pick for the Pacers coming up on Thursday. Five picks as of now. They seem to be a team receiving and potentially fielding, or I should say making a lot of calls going into the 2023 NBA draft to talk more about that. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tony East, he joins us in 10. Kevin, last year I was at a Pacer game. I think I told you this. And I can't remember. There was a, there was a stretch of the game. I don't remember who they were playing or what the circumstance was. But Matherin, Benedict Matherin had hit a shot and then maybe like gotten a foul on the other end for an and one. You know, And there was a timeout called. And I watched when he was walking across the floor, headed back to the circle, into the the huddle. And I can't explain it. 
which doesn't probably translate very well to a sports talk radio program. But he just had a look on his face where you were like, that's it. There's an it factor of a guy that just knows I'm that guy. And he just has it. It's a swagger about him that was mature beyond his years. Catchphrase, I realize. But for a 20-year-old guy at the time who was a rookie, was not starting, but yet a lot was flowing through him. Right, I was like, right there, that is a guy that is a natural alpha. And and Yeah, I, I watch him and I think a little bit of Jimmy Butler vibes. Just how a, he carries himself. Yeah, that's a very good comparison. And I just think the franchise needs an edge like that. You know, when you're totally. in the small market and you're the little brother and you don't have that respect, you, you, you need that. And for a rookie, I think, to got into the foul line as much as he did in his first year, you know, it's not like you're getting tons and tons of calls. I remember having this conversation with Pat Boylan. I think it's Luka Doncic, Tyreek Evans, and one other rookie. I've gotten to the foul line more in the last 15 years in the first year in the NBA than Benedict Mathern just did. And Mathern played a lot less minutes than the guys that are above him. And there's only like three guys on the list. So I just think when your star player, or one of your stars obviously, has that, I think it's huge. And obviously Halliburton is a little bit of a different personality. I still think Halliburton uh, brings kind of what you would want more in that quarterback mold. But yeah, Halliburton is... uh, Mathern looks like a guy, Jake, that... At the age of 15 or 16, he was sent to a totally different country and had no idea how to speak the language and was forced to grow up majorly fast and did exactly that in the Latin America Academy in Mexico and then went to Arizona, which is light years away from growing up in Canada and wasn't used to this kind of spoon-fed, everyone is always praising you, everyone is always kind of, you are born on third base and you're going to be set for life and none of that. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. At Four Matherin, and I think those are all attributes to why he has an incredible amount of confidence and hunger. I think they offset each other nicely in terms of just, I'm not saying this is how they really are, but in perception or appearance. Because Halliburton is like the young, happy-go-lucky kid that just loves to play the game and, and kind of lifts everybody around him. And Matherin's the guy that's like, I'm going to beat you. And it's a, it's a, it is a good yin and yang, for sure. Like, no doubt about it. Talking to people at the Pacers, like when he is losing, when he is on losing pickup teams. They get out of the way, right? He needs multiple minutes of cooling down. Yeah. Talk more Pacers. The draft coming up Thursday night. Tony East on the other side. All right, coming up on Thursday night, you'll have the 2023 NBA draft. Pick 7, 26, 29, 32, and 50 for the Indiana Pacers. 
And the activity expected to be pretty rampant heading into Thursday. Talk more about that. Tony East joins us, covers the Pacers for SI. Locked on Pacers, always a great listen. Uh, Tony, let's focus maybe on the prospects here to start off. Who is a name that you think should be more in play at number seven, but you don't believe either the fan base or the draft pundits have given enough credit to? My answer is going to be Anthony Black. Um, just the things I value with a high pick and the things that seem important with upside would be just the ability to create a shot, or create a shot for your teammates, make make something happen, make the defense get into rotation, right? We see those players become more and more valuable seemingly every year, and Anthony Black from Arkansas can do that, right? He's so shifty. He can get past his defender. He can get into the lane. He's foot seven, so he's usually taller than than his matchup, and I don't, I don't know if he'll – make the most sense for the Pacers because they have a lot of guys who can handle the ball and create shots already. But he, because he's so tall at six seven, if you can be kind of a wing creator type and defend a couple guys that aren't guards every night, I mean, I think he's really good. I think he, he's going to be valuable in this top ten, but not sure he's the perfect pick for the Pacers, though I would understand it. I'm pretty high on him. Tony, my understanding is that Grady Dick had a pretty good workout, and he could shoot the ball, flat out can shoot the ball. The kid out of Kansas who's young, but he is you know, also 6'7 and a scorer. I think with Grady Dick, what you're looking at is a guy that can give you perimeter shooting but needs to grow defensively. Does Indiana get overly intrigued by the first half or are they strictly focused on somebody that can guard, that can develop an offensive game as opposed to an offensive guy that has to develop guarding? Yeah, I think defense is is important for them, obviously, and they'll they'll consider that. You know, I think Kevin Pritchard even said that they'll you know look at defense for for guys that they're picking. But he's the best shooter in the draft by a good amount. Uh, Grady Dick is, and it's not that he's just that. You know, when I was watching Kansas, and as as people have kind of studied him, it's like when guys run him off the line with a hard closeout, like he can do some stuff. He can put it on the floor twice and make a mid-range jumper or get to the paint or, you know, it's, it's not like he's just a one trick pony, but his defense is pretty, you know, suspect at this stage that a lot of prospects are, but his is particularly, and uh, the shooting might just be undeniable, right? Like shooting is so valuable of the top 10 teams in three point percentage last year. Nine of them made the playoffs, right? The Nuggets were an amazing three point shooting team in the postseason. They won the championship, right? Shooting is immensely important. You could never fault a team for wanting more shooting, but, for a guy that, you know, it's questionable what the rest of his skills will be in the NBA, it'll be interesting to see if the Pacers do pick him, how much they value just that outside shooting alone. It's T East NBA on Twitter. Tony East does an outstanding job in covering the Pacers. He's with us now on the Payless Slickers hotline. Tony, I I view a guy like Brian Windhorst as pretty credible when it comes to, you know, comments he makes about NBA teams around the league. So I wouldn't just throw this out there because it's, you know, any schmuck saying this. But, you know, you have Windhorst late last week saying, I've been told that Indiana's been trying to get wing players. Duh. Uh, they've been trying to move out of seven to get a high-level wing player. That's a little different. And then he also says, I think they might be able to if they're motivated. When you read that report, what stands out to you, if anything? Yeah, him and Chris Haynes reported that the same day. Two of the more plugged-in guys in in the whole kind of landscape of, of NBA insiders. And, you know, I think it's hard to always say, but, you know, after last year with the Rudy Gobert trade just being so crazy and the, the star market being so weird, is if you're motivated, it always makes me think that maybe the price is really high if for a lot of the guys who could be available who kind of fit that mold or just it, it would take maybe more than people think to get that player. And that's 
how the NBA is. Wings who are very good, especially on both ends of the court, are impossibly hard to get these days and cost a ton to trade for. And, you know, this dates back for a while. But even, like, DeJounte Murray went for three first-rounders last year, and he can really defend, and he can really score. And he's not even a wing. He's a guard. Uh, and the Hawks didn't even do that well. But, you know, that that's just kind of the cost of doing business for good players on both ends of the court these days who have, you know, the potential to really elevate your team. So it makes sense why the Pacers want to need a wing, obviously. You know, you, you said that even when proposing the question. You know, but getting that player, getting someone of that caliber is so expensive that the motivation part is, is always something that, the Pacers have talked about, right? The cost can't be so prohibitive that it's not worth it, right? They've said that in the past. So if they view this as the right time to get the star wing or if that player is available for the right price to them, I think that's what motivation comes down to is, are they willing to meet that price? Is now the time? Do they have the resources to do it? Because, you know, they are pretty early in the rebuild still, right? They have to weigh a lot of factors when thinking about this stuff. I know speculating is probably not your favorite game, but, you know, when I read that, Report and I think to myself, okay, OG Ananobi is the first name that pops in my head. I, I struggle to maybe get past Ananobi or don't have a great, I don't know, is Jalen Brown a name? But any names kind of pop into your head when you hear something like that? Ananobi is the, the name for me as well, yeah. And no one ever knows with Toronto anymore what they're going to do. They just hired a new coach, but he only has one year left before a player option on his contract. It's really hard to kind of assess his value and you know, there were some murmurs about the Pacers offering their pick package for him back in the trade deadline but then right their pick package would have been worse because they were kind of in the playoff play-in mix at the time now their top pick is known as seven like that's a lot to give up for a guy with potentially just one year left on his deal in Ananobi so like they probably have enough ammo to, to get him if they're, uh, to use the wind horse word, motivated to do so, right? But who knows exactly what that price will be or what Toronto's looking to do. As for others, you know, I, I, everybody's pointed to Mikael Bridges for forever. It doesn't seem like he'll be available. Cam Johnson's a free agent, but maybe some sign-and-trade finagle possibilities if the Nets move on from him for some reason. Jalen Brown's really good, of course. Obviously, he'd fit amazing next to Tyree Talburton, but it doesn't seem like the Celtics would want pick. It seems like they'd want really fantastic players next to Jason Tatum because they're a title contender, so I'm not sure that's the cleanest fit ever. It's hard to think of available wings, though, because teams covet them so much that they don't want to trade them away unless they absolutely have to or in a you know kind of over-the-barrel situation. And so many teams in the NBA are trying to win right now. It's very unique, and it's a good thing for the NBA, but it makes it harder to acquire talent if you're a team like the Pacers. So, Tony, every team in the NBA is in pursuit of a ring, and congratulations to you. You're going to get one within the year, right? <laughs> uh, yes, I am. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, uh, I beat the Nuggets to a ring by one day, I believe, was how the timeline shook out for me. And you were in New York City? Is that where you got engaged? Yeah, Bro- uh, Brooklyn Bridge Park, right by the right by the Brooklyn Bridge, obviously. There is no greater city yeah. probably in the world than New York City. Good I work, Tony love East. New York City. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was uh, the perfect place for it, and... We got to see something on Broadway the night before, which was awesome. We love going to see shows uh, when we can. So, yeah, it was a fantastic trip. Uh, really fun to, to be out there when, when I was. And really nerve-wracking moment. I didn't think I'd be nervous, but I was. Really? Okay. I know. Did, I know. You, did you have, like, you know, did you make sure that, like, somebody was videotaping for Instagram yeah. and the whole deal, right? I mean, you got to yeah, do it the right the way. coordination going on, yeah. We had <laughs> friends there. Well, they were very helpful, obviously, as well. 
My wife saw the ring, or at least what she thought was the ring in my pot. I had one of those like hooded sweatshirt pouches on. She saw it, you know, in in the pouch. She's like, "What is that?" And I try to play it off as that was my wallet. Uh, that did not go over very well. And so yeah, <laughs> nice work. Safe, safe say I ruined it about an hour early. Uh, Tony East with us here. Uh, the draft coming up on Thursday night. Again, number seven is right now where the Pacers sit. Uh, Tony, if I gave you uh, two piles of names, one pile has Jarris Walker and Taylor Hendricks in that pile. The other pile has every other player in the draft, and the Pacers are making the pick at seven. Which pile are you grabbing? Uh, probably the first pile, honestly. I mean, they, they're just... Such perfect fits, Kevin. You know, and it's not that it's not just that they're perfect fits; it's that they're really good too. Like this actually worked out really well for the Pacers in that when they really need forwards and they're trying to to, to hit the accelerator a little bit after a good season, a lot of the guys in the top ten can play on the wing or can play forward. And there are other good players, good fits. Whatever came with more Asar Thompson, they're good players. They can slot in on the wing. They can have upside, but. I mean, Walker and Hendricks are just absolutely perfect fits with what the Pacers need with their defense. They have the upside. They you know, can play the four. Hendricks can really shoot it. Walker has some creation upside. And you know, in high school, had the ball all the time, despite not really showing as much with the ball at, at Houston. Like, they just, they're just such – I keep saying the same words over and over. I won't do it again. But they, they would be awesome for what the Pacers kind of need. And so, if they stay at seven, it makes a ton of sense to me that they would pick – one of those guys and, and be happy with it. I would understand if they picked a number of guys, certainly, but those two just seem like they would slot in so well with the team and what they, what they need and our long-term fits. And usually I don't think about fit too much with the draft, right? You just NBA teams change rosters so much and change players so much that it's impossible to kind of think about what the Pacers could even look like in three, four years. But given Halliburton's contract status, Matherin's contract status, those guys will be around for a while. They need to at least consider somewhat what you know the player they pick could look like next to those guys in the future. Tony, when you look at the second pick in this draft, I mean, we know almost with, well, with zero question, unless something disastrous happens, that Webbamyama is going number one to San Antonio. But the second pick, Charlotte has it. They have brought back, apparently, this week they will bring in again both Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. That's the report. What I'm curious about is it would seem to me that whichever player they select at number two, it does not in any way really alter the draft because there is such a clear-cut top three. In other words, Charlotte doesn't really have any potential to redirect the way the draft is going to go, correct? Yeah, I wouldn't think so. You know, whoever they pick it to, the other one will go at three, so... Uh, unless there's some wild trade potentially, but I mean the price to get up there is going to be so high because there is a clear top three. Tony, when you look at that that trio of picks, twenty six, twenty nine, thirty two, if you put on your Kevin Pritchard hat, like in an ideal world, how would you manage those three selections? It's really tricky because they're so close, right? You could get a really similar quality of player with any of them, and the Pacers have little need for a player of that quality this coming season. And, um, you know, you don't want to look too short-sighted and just look at this coming year and say, you know, they can't fit in too many rookies because, you know, the way the new CBA is set up, rookie skill contracts and young players who can contribute at all are, are so valuable, right? Like, if they made one of those picks, it would make good logical sense just because, you know, Halberton's going to be expensive and, 
Turner already got his extension, and who knows what's going to happen with Buddy Hill, and Matherin's going to be expensive, and they're going to draft him. But like, the, adding more talent is is important. Young talent that's on controlled contracts is important. But they don't have room for five rookies on their team this year. Certainly, um, they've said that on the record multiple times, which I think says a lot. And they, those picks do have value to to move around, move up. Right? Could they package a couple of them together and get into? you know, the mid-teens, low-20s range, could they just trade them for future picks even, at, you know, for a similar reason why r- rookies are important, like to just kicking the can down the road and getting a 2025 first-rounder or something or 2027, that way that you get a cheap influx of talent when Halliburton and all those guys are being paid already, you know, that could be smart. There's just so many ways to handle it, but it seems like making – all three of those picks would be very ill-advised in their current situation. They want to win next year. They don't have the roster spots to do it. It's just, what's the right trade? Is it trading up? Is it trading out? Is it trading for an established wing or forward that can fit your team right now? I don't think there's a right or wrong answer with what the best move is, but they just they ha- they almost have to do something given the situation they're in. And I think at least two of those picks will be on the move just given the Pacers' current setup. I mean, they, they have to do it. Tony, who is Indiana's most valuable trade piece in terms of being coveted elsewhere not named Halliburton or Matherin <laughs> I was gonna say uh, the, unfortunately the answer is Halliburton but that's not good radio um man I it, it's tough between three things then I would say their own first round pick next year uh would be pretty valuable just because you know they didn't make the playoffs this year no one knows who's going to be good next year and uh, you know, I tweeted this the other day but like every team in the east the Wizards who traded Beal could be wanting to win next year. Like, even if all these teams get better the way they want, making the playoffs could still be hard, right? So the Pacers pick, who knows where it could end up. Miles Turner, of course, fantastic contract, fantastic player coming off of the season he just had, is really valuable. And Andrew Nemhart, of course, is, is immensely valuable as a, you know, high potential kind of rookie who just nearly made an all-rookie team. Those three stand out to me as the Pacers' best tradable stuff. Uh, beyond the seventh pick, of course, which is of course valuable too. But among the players on the team, I think it's Nemard and Turner. And you know, Turner proved that he could be a really solid contributor. The playoff centers who did well kind of match the stuff he can do uh, on the floor this year. Obviously, Jokic is a different beast entirely. But you know, those names stand out. Those picks stand out as the stuff that you know, if the Pacers need to make a splash, could could be involved if they need to make a huge move. But I don't anticipate all three or even two of those things being on the move. Again, Tony East covers Pacers for SI and Locked On Pacers is a great listen daily podcast on your Indiana Pacers. Tony's with us right now. Um, Tony, workout schedule-wise today, I think they've got another couple guys coming in. I know the Asar Thompson workout was supposed to happen but then did not happen. You know, I, I bring this up just to, you know, Benedict Matherin worked out for the team, and by all accounts it was, I don't know, maybe the cherry on top that kind of cemented their opinion on him. Um, are you surprised at any of the players that have not been brought in for a workout yet in that seven range? Um, you know, Thompson was the last one for me that would have made me say, no, I'm not surprised by who has and hasn't been, you know, brought in uh, for workouts. And this close to the draft, you know, he was last Friday. That would have been six days before. Nothing really surprises me. Maybe he's just done and is comfortable with his range. Maybe he has a promise. Who knows? But, you know, you're mostly, to me at least, trying to figure out who these people are, right? Like, that was the standout things for Matherin last year as he wanted to come back in and, 
do that extra work. I think that mentality was really impressive to the Pacers. Like, you, you know, the Pacers have been scouting and getting to know these guys for years. Like, the workout can matter, obviously, but it's not like it's that important compared to years and years and years of body of work scouting these guys. So uh, I don't think it's a huge deal necessarily if they don't get someone in the building, but I think they would obviously like to do it to get to know them in a more intimate setting but i uh, they've brought in 63 guys i mean it's un- that's more than will be selected like they did an unbelievable job of doing their diligence this year and getting eyes on everybody and because they have so many picks they kind of had to so uh, i'm not surprised at all by how their approach has been done and i outside of us thompson i'm not really surprised at all that anybody uh did or did not make it in the door for them all right, last one from me. Uh, more likely they trade seven for a veteran player or they trade up higher in the lottery? I would say for a veteran player, just because of their goals to be better and uh, what it looks like their timeline has become. But if they trade it up, I would understand, too. They've got a lot of extra picks to do it. Tony, doesn't it feel like if Charlotte takes Henderson to Portland's at three, right? Yes. If Brandon Miller's there in Portland on the clock and Portland's on the clock at three, doesn't it feel like Kevin Pritchard's at least making a phone call back to his old stomping grounds and saying, "Yeah, that would not not surprise me at all." I mean, Miller's about as perfect of a fit as you can have in this draft and would fit any team. And you know, a three and D baseline with creation upside, and everybody saw the forty point games with Bama. I mean, man, he'd be a fantastic timeline fit with the Pacers as well. Yeah, they got to make the call. They got to try. I lied, Tony. Any trickle-down effect with this Bradley Beal thing, Pacers-related? Uh, I mean, <laughs> he got moved for nothing, basically. I mean, right. I would, it's hard to even say so. You know, maybe Chris Paul gets rerouted somewhere, and there's more to this eventually. But, uh, no, the only trickle-down effect is my, my favorite childhood team becomes more depressing once again, Kevin. I, I was going to ask you that. Why are you a, or why were you a Wizards fan? I was a big Gilbert Arenas fan. I got to say hibachi when I would shoot the ball in my practice at the middle school. You know, I love Gilbert Arenas. Well, don't know if that would have been the best role model for you to follow, so thankfully you <laughs> I deviated. I that was a smart choice by young Tony, no, but that is what happened. Well, thankfully for your uh, new fiancé, uh, you did not continue down that path. Uh, Tony, great <laughs> stuff, man. I know Thursday, uh, all week long is going to be busy. Thursday's going to be a late night for you, so appreciate you providing draft insight for us here the last couple of weeks and looking forward <laughs> to talking to you afterwards to recap things. You got a big time, you guys. Tony East, Pay Less Liquors Hotline. Gilbert Arenas, by the way. He could fill it up. Oh, well, clearly a shooting guard. No, um, Jeez. The last team that he played for. This is seemingly everyone's last team they play for. Whenever they, like, whenever a guy leaves the NBA and you're like, is he still playing overseas? This is always the overseas team that every team, it's the last team they play the for. The Beijing Sharks? <laughs> Shanghai Sharks. The Shanghai Sharks. Yes, that's exactly correct. The Shanghai <laughs> Sharks. Right, let's look at the Shanghai Sharks' current roster. They've got to have, how many Americans? Okay, here we go. The current roster of the Shanghai Sharks. Dwight Howard. Uh, they have... Oh man, two Amer- three Americans. Johnny O'Brien. I'm not familiar with that name. Mello Trimble. That name sounds familiar. Yeah, Maryland guard. He was good at Maryland. Is that where he was, Maryland? Johnny O'Brien. Was he a he was a big dude? That sound right? Uh forward center. Johnny O'Brien. Golden State maybe drafted him? Uh he was drafted by the Bucks. Bucks? It looks like second round pick. And collegiately, I'm looking to see he played at LSU. But also Eric Bledsoe. 
Oh, sure. Playing for the he, Shanghai Sharks. He smoked IU in Assembly Hall. That was, what, my sophomore year down there? Someone's saying Tom Crean to West Virginia. How about the West Virginia story? We haven't gotten into that. That that actually is a perfect way to lead off the morning checkdown. Oh, you don't want to go with Tom Crean to... Big news in college basketball. Rumor is Tom Crean might be headed to West Virginia. <laughs> uh, Bob Huggins resigning after what I believe is his second DUI, um, at least second that I can think of. He had a he had a bad one when he was at Cincinnati, but obviously Bob Huggins was already kind of on thin ice after some bad comments made in Cincinnati radio. He had a one million dollar pay deduction and then arrested over the weekend for driving under the influence en route back to Morgantown from an event, I believe, in Pittsburgh. Blew a .21, told the police officer that he thought he was in Columbus, Ohio, allegedly, is what he said. Um, so Bob Huggins resigning. Tom Cream would I would seemingly be a fit there. I mean, they said that they're going to do a search uh, nationwide, and they were not opposed to hiring internally. Boy, I'm shocked that the three-game suspension, Jake, of Missouri State, Monmouth, and Jacksonville State didn't send the message to Bob Huggins. Yeah, exactly. I, I know. I mean, yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see just how things transpire there. I don't think West Virginia is some like top thirty job by any means, but you know you aren't walking it's a pretty into decent a job though awful situation. Yeah, and I guess they've been super active transfer portal wise here in um, building their roster. All right, from over the weekend, obviously last night, if you fell asleep, it was Wyndham Clark holding on to win the U.S. Open. He beat Rory McIlroy by one shot. McIlroy birdied the first hole, and that was it all day long. Um, Just basically par after par after par. A couple bogeys in there, uh, but Rory uh, could not make much of a charge at all. Wyndham Clark, again, bogeyed 15, bogeyed 16, was leaking some oil, a huge up and down on 17, and quite the two-putt. On 18, uh, here was Wyndham Clark afterwards on becoming the fifth straight U.S. Open champion uh, to win his first major there. I feel like I belong on this stage, and I, you know, even two, three years ago when people didn't know who I was, I felt like I could still, still play and compete against the best players in the world, and I've, I felt like I've shown that this year. Um, you know, and I've ha- I've come up close, and you know, obviously everyone sees the person that hoists the trophy. But I've been trending in the right direction for a long time now. I've made a lot of cuts. I've had a handful of top tens and top twenties, and I feel like I've been on a great trajectory to get to this place. He has an accent, and I can't tell where it is. The Denver guy, right? Correct. Um, him and Christian McCaffrey, Highlands are good Ranch. buddies. Oklahoma same, State and Oregon. Same high school class as Christian McCaffrey, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they were saying that they were good friends there. So Wyndham Clark gets it done at LA. Uh, yesterday, Road America, Alex Pillow, your winner in IndyCar. Joseph Newgarden, Pata Award, rounding out the podium. Uh, Mark Dykton, give me number one through 27. 23. Number 23, Devlin DeFrancesco. I got to think of who Devlin DeFrancesco's sponsor is. No. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, give me another number. 24. At 24. Uh, Marcus Armstrong, uh, Ridgeline. You win okay. a lifetime supply of Ridgeline. No, I still uh, Kevin, want to know what Marcus Armstrong was is. starting pretty high up there, wasn't he? Yeah, he started uh, ninth. But Well, here I can tell you. Marcus Armstrong started in the eighth position. Uh, who rounded out the top ten? Let's go with tenth. Uh, tenth. Rounding out the top ten, Alexander Rossi. 
So you win. Uh, which one did they have yesterday? This is great, isn't it? That I didn't look up either of these. I know you're playing the game, and you have no idea what anything is. is well, not, uh, Napa. I mean, obviously, is that done? No, Napa, Napa was. So it's Arrow McLaren. So it would oh, be yeah. Arrow, but then they also use like different sponsors on the car. I've got to look up Devlin D. Francesco first. It's like his right? is Damon Motors. Yep. There you go. Is that, that's Rossi, or that's D. Francesco. D. Francesco. Uh, give me a number for me, Kevin. Uh, let's go with 13. Number 13. Ooh, nice. I get a lifetime supply of cellular phone products. Will Power in the Verizon Chevrolet was Perfect. 13th yesterday. I would have suggested 500 for how many papers you went through this morning, but there's Speaking not that many drivers. And Jake, for those that missed it, SportsCenter played a clip from IndyCar practice on Saturday. I know that sounds shocking to a, lo- a large amount of people that SportsCenter was playing a clip from an IndyCar practice session on Saturday. Please explain more. Uh, Will Power was in practice. He was going around Romain Grosjean, and then as he did so scott dixon came alongside of him and dixon didn't see power there and basically just kind of turned into the line of willpower sending power into the wall power jumped out of his car and was irate immediately charged well he gave the double birds to dixon then charged him uh shoved him and then dixon took off his helmet and his whatever you call it the what do you call the the covering the hood i guess the fireproof hood the cloth looking cloth yeah. yeah so anyway he took that off and kind of gave power the like look man i mean what you, it was a mistake all right like in other words like dixon was actually mad at power being so mad and um a couple shoves tempers from, ensued from willpower and then a kick uh from willpower of the grass and then some very colorful interviews from willpower saying the track sucks uh Gro- grosjean sucks Dixon was an idiot, and then by Sunday morning, I love kind of, up willpower. Uh, it is the best, isn't it? Cooler heads prevailed by Sunday morning, which I kind of was hoping that that would carry as a storyline a little bit. Uh, but nonetheless, they started next to each other, and there were times during the race where they're racing next to each other. And Grosjean, Grosjean had an off on lap twelve that kind of knocked him out of the race, and then afterwards got out of the car and told the team, like, you fix it. The car's broken. I got on a scooter and rode off. I think Ramon Grosan's a good dude, but he's starting to kind of develop a reputation as a little bit of a whiner. So the phrase of Grosan's an idiot, I think, might be felled by more than one driver in the paddock I believe there. Power's quote was, he needs to be punched in the face. Hmm. That's <laughs> certainly descriptive. Uh, give me a uh, – tell me when to stop here. I'm, I'm rolling through. Mark. Now, stop. Okay. So we're going to do this again. Uh, earlier, when I was trying to print out the results of golf and IndyCar over the weekend, somehow or another, I clicked a button, and our printer went berserk and printed out the logo of every team in major professional sports in the United States. If we got transferred to be the voice of this team in the next year, would we be happy? Oh, we've had some oh, people yeah. in this market. Just yeah. j- j- just go there. The Cincinnati Bengals is Joe what Burrow. you landed on. Yeah. Hey, Bengals. don't look now, Mark. Play oh, it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of it. Don't look now, but here come you. the Red Legs. They are, man. They might be the hottest team in baseball. That's eight straight. That is an eight and one road trip for the Red Legs. A half game back of the Brewers in the Central. A sweep of the Astros from over the weekend. And frankly, that's the only baseball thing that I care about. Really? Well, not cute fella. No. Well, my A's keep on losing. Heartbreakers. Well, it has been an eventful day, and you just took a wild ride. First of all, that was a pretty impressive save. Yeah, I know. This track's terrible. This is willpower, by the way. They do a terrible job here, so they need to pick up their game. Anywhere you go off, you almost break your back every time. Done it a couple times this weekend, so need a kick in the butt for this place. But just pissed what Dixon did this morning. He's just ruined our whole weekend, and just a terrible move all up. You try. 
Now, what does he mean by that, Jake, in terms of when they run off? Like, it's bumpy, they run into things? Uh, I like- think actually what he mostly meant by that was, I don't want to speak for him, but they re they resurfaced the track at Road America, and I think in doing so, it created actually like a the two things the tire degradation it didn't match well necessarily with the softer compound of the firestone tires but i also think that it just allowed for um an, an extra speed the track was super fast that made it where like if you go off there, there just was no external line to kind of slow you down a little bit i i, I think that's what he meant by that um because they it looked literally like just smooth glass, the track did. It was beautiful track. I mean, the track is gorgeous. Road America's great. Watching what Power and did to Dixon, I'm kind of glad that when Maddie called him Scott Dixon that one time at livery that he was <laughs> calm about that. Power's the best. Mrs. Power, very feisty as well, Liz. Really? Uh, for those that have watched 100 Days to Indy, oh, yeah. it is a tremendous watch of very animated. Liz and the mother-in-law watching Will race. Uh, yeah, so you know. Two-week break coming up before Mid-Ohio. Grosjean just supposed to be punched in the face. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> uh, substitute teacher pop quiz. Scotty's out all week. Uh, Jake, uh, you've got what? I contributed one question. Is that correct? Yeah, I, but it's decent, don't you think? Yeah, I, I, I scrolled through it. I think it's decent. I think the other four questions is hold, you holding up random logos. Say, name somebody. Who did I print off here? <laughs> I could do that. How if well that would YouTube. go over yeah, on, yeah. on radio action. Uh, give us a call for the pop quiz. Jiffy Lube oil change. Up for grabs. 317-239-1070. See if you go five for five. The kind of school that would have like a... Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Really good NBA player, right? And you know, Arizona State, it's sneaky with James Harden. Right. Remember uh, Pacer great Jeff Pendergraf, who didn't he change his name? How about Ike Diagu, Ooh, another Arizona nice. State great? What did Pendergraf change his name to? I forgot about that. Was it Ayers? Thanks for playing. Congrats on the engagement. I forgot about <laughs> Jeff Pendergraf. Yeah, Jeff Pendergraf is now Jeff Ayers. Does he play for the Shanghai Sharks? <laughs> He probably. If he doesn't, um, he probably will. Minnesota Twins are at 500. They're the only in the AL Central, not below 500. And yes, in fact, Alex Pillow was the winner. And Oregon and Oklahoma State, the two schools, 
for Wyndham Clark. Okay, so Jeff Ayers right now is currently playing in Taiwan. So I was close here, okay? For the T-A-O-Y-U-A-N. How are you saying that? Say that again. T-A-O-Y-U-A-N. Taiwan? Taiwan. The Taiwan Pian Pilots. By the way, Alex Caruso, Texas A&M. A.C. Law, Texas A&M. Former Pacer Donald Sloan. A.C. Law kind of bottomed out. Wasn't he a pretty he, high he pick? He was. A.C. Law was thought to be, there was a lot. Lefty, lot right? Uh, Chris Middleton, Texas A&M. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. There, there are some more. Daniel House, or uh, Daniel House, Daniel House, Texas A&M. You think Pineapple Nick will tell his son or daughter one day what dad used to do before meeting Alexis? <laughs> You are fascinated by this. Mark, he used to call in a ton. Yeah, he was a very regular caller. Or very I mean, active that, in the YouTube busy. chat, uh-huh. if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Apparently <laughs> active elsewhere. Yeah. I just thought we needed to clarify to make sure he hadn't met the significant other via that realm. But Yowie wowie! More, more power to him. All right, we'll do one final time here. Kevin Aquari. Got a good question here from Michael who texted me. He said, Jake, since Indiana doesn't have a Major League Baseball team, how do you think fans of baseball pick a team in this state? He says, my theory is it's based on MLB affiliates with minor league teams. Indy has a huge Reds following for those 35 or older because of the Indians' affiliation with Cincinnati. 18 to 25-year-olds are Pirates fans. South Bend has a blend of Diamondbacks, White Sox, and Cubs fans. Terre Haute uh, has 70-plus age people who are Phillies uh, fans. I will disagree with that a little bit and say this. I, I, I think I've never met a Pirates fan. Yeah, the Pirates thing. <laughs> I, I don't know of that. I, I think the and number I one that age groups. I guess I could, I could say that the number one thing I would say. I have a theory on this, Kevin. Proximity to market would be probably number one based on what you can see on television. Now that's a little bit out the window now because you can see any team anytime, yeah. right? The Turner WGN days. But I think, like, for my childhood, it was primarily Reds because of the fact that that was the closest team, and it was an hour and a half away. Most of the local news stations covered the Reds. The two other factors that I have always felt like for Major League Baseball are key. There are three, actually. I think we've discussed this before. The three things that I think proximity is number one to where you live, right? There are indeed nationally a lot of people who are Cubs or Braves fans because at one time those were the only two teams that were on national TV regularly. But the three factors that I think weigh in, in no particular order, whoever your dad was a fan of, right? Like when you were a little kid, your dad was watching games, you know, and it's like, well, that's that, so that's who he's rooting for, so that's the, the team that I'm going to follow. A second would be, like I have a friend who is a diehard Kansas City Royals fan. And I'm like, Tobin, how did you become a Royals fan? And he's like, oh, the World Series in 1980, it was the Phillies and the Royals, and I liked their uniforms. Uh, Laugh if you want, but I think color uniform for a kid is important. And then the third, which I think is a big one also, Kevin, is, because I'll bet you remember this, Kevin, when you played, what was the first grade you were in, or the first age where you played organized baseball? T-ball, whatever it might uh be. What team were you? Uh, the White Sox. Because I was the first team that I remember. I was also actually on the White Sox. Were we really? on the same team? Allisonville Christian Church. Um, I was the White Sox, Cubs, Tigers, Giants, Indians, Red Sox. Those are all the teams I played for. 
I strangely, I did not become a fan of any of those teams. But I do think there are people who, if you ask them how they became a fan, if they grew up in a non-major league market, sometimes it's based on what team they played for as a little league player. But I think that proximity to city is the number one thing. Yeah, I mean, I've always been obsessed with geography and maps. So literally, the Reds are the closest major league baseball team to Indianapolis, just from a strictly mileage standpoint. Um, so that's why I went with the Reds. And Griffey, I think, obviously helps in that sense from, you know, once they got him, um, you know, you want to be a front runner. It was kind of funny. We were watching the U.S. Open with, with my nephew on Saturday, and, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm cheering for Rory. And then about two holes later, he's like, actually, I want this Clark guy to win. I'm like, oh, why are you cheering for Clark all of a sudden? He goes, well, because he's winning. I mean, when you're seven years old, you don't like to really cheer for losers. Right. So No, you're right. That probably um, plays By the way, that. I, I, I should have seen this coming immediately from Steelers fans. There are a lot of Pirates fans here, as well as the Steelers. I uh, you voiced Don Fisher, huge Pirates fan. Don Fisher has told us he's a Pirates fan because the first major league game he went to, the Pirates were playing. And he saw Roberto Clemente. That's another big one, by the way. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Maybe I... I, I I can't imagine like Indians affiliate for that age group, the eighteen to thirty, whatever he said, thirty-five year old has a lot of Pirates now, fans because of it. I mean, somebody sent me this, and I'll totally one hundred percent disagree. Jake, Indy won four straight titles with Razor Shines when they were the Expos as the Parents Club, and there are a lot of Expos fans here as well. One thousand percent false. That was the prime of my childhood. Everybody here loved the Indians. We loved Razor Shines. Randy Johnson played here. Nobody realized it. Nobody knew who he was. Andres Galarraga played here. Nobody knew it. Nobody knew who he was. Larry Walker played here. Nobody knew it. Nobody knew who he was. And But people did like the fact that the Indians won three straight. That was literally the prime era of me of Little League and then middle school and high school baseball. My buddies and I loved going to Bush Stadium. We loved watching the Indians. We loved the blue uniforms. I don't know a single person in Indianapolis that in any... Now, I take that back. My buddy Eldon Wheeler is a huge Montreal Expos fan. And the reason being, when he was like seven, his family took a family vacation to Canada and he got an Expos jacket. That's it. Other than that, there was not a single person in Indianapolis in the late 80s, early 90s that was a fan of the Expos. Let's sneak Chris in here. You want to talk about the Pacers draft. What's up, Chris? Oh, uh, I'm good. How are you? Good, um, man. What do you got? Quick. So, oh, I'm good, man. So, in terms of like the last three picks, I'm not sure exactly what you said, 26, 29, and 32. Um, how would you feel about just packaging those three and trying to move back into the late teens and then just making that draft pick along with number seven? Love it. Just trying to get two high-end valuable first-round picks. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Um, obviously, you got to find a willing partner, but that's, you know, when Grady Dick came in for the workout last week, that was some of my thought process behind it. I think it's way too rich to take Grady Dick at seven, but a 6'8 elite shooter who I think deserves a little bit more credit for his athleticism, I would happily take that in the teen area. And to Tony East's point earlier, Jake, five picks is too much. It's about, for me, you have reshaped this roster to high-end quality versus quantity. And you really don't have many free agents on the team either, at least frontline guys. I mean, O'Shea Bursette is probably your biggest free agent, so it's not like you're losing a whole lot of your even six, seven, eight guys if you want to go off of your second unit. So Chris's idea there of packaging, again, 26 and 29 fall into round one. You got 30 picks in round one, and 32 is that early round two. Uh, I'd be all about that. I remember when they did that the year. Remember they traded, and they got two picks, and they took Brandon Rush, and who was the other one they took in that draft? 
And Brandon Rush was okay, but um, I'm trying to think of who the other player was. That that, Jared Bayless? Did they trade him? That, that was it. They flipped. They flipped Bayless, right? Is that the same draft? And I think that's right. Um, it was Jared Bayless. They traded him. They had Brand- oh Hibbert. It was it was Rush and Hibbert. Hibbert was the other one that they got that they in a multiplayer deal. So yeah, I mean if you can package a couple of them and move into the teens, I like that idea. And obviously seven and fifteen, sixteen. Have to see how the board falls coming up on Thursday night. Uh, you said Chad Buchanan going to be joining us this week. Uh, they're going to check maybe tomorrow, but sometime this week for sure. Okay, the Pacers GM going to join us ahead of Thursday's draft. Thank you to Will Haskett. Thank you to Tony East. Those will be up on the podcast. Sounds like potentially some rain this afternoon. Um, so if you're able to get outside, do it this morning. Everybody have a great Monday. Talk to you tomorrow. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.